Welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast, Temple Archives, Episode 6, Twin Sons. My name is Noma, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dan. Hey! And Ed. Woo! (laughs) So, if you're a first-time listener to our podcast, I'll give you a quick rundown about what this episode is all about. So, on Temple Archives, we focus on Star Wars canon. So, in every episode, we'll be going over one novel and one comic book of the new official canon. And we'll be summarizing the story for anyone who hasn't read these in a long time or isn't really interested in reading but does want to know what the new canon's all about. We'll also be talking about how it relates to legends and canon material. And after our summary, we have a discussion where we all talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, all those kinds of things. And we'll also tell you where it fits into the Star Wars timeline. So before we get into the literature for this episode, there was a tweet that we got uh, earlier this week that I found really interesting, and I wanted to hear you guys' opinions on that. The tweet was from uh, Jordan on Twitter. He is at GodsPhoenix4. And we were just talking about uh, our Lost Stars episode, our last episode. And uh, he he agreed that he found Sienna's story the most frustrating. Um, to quote him, he says, I like Unfounded Loyalty, but it wasn't the best in her arc. And then he also says, interesting how the Thane and Sienna kind of mirrors the state of the Star Wars fan base. And I found that really interesting because it, it it really does get that kind of of relationship when you think about it where there's a whole lot of fans who are like Thane and, you know, they they still like it and they still, you know, like the idea of Star Wars and all the, the stuff it has, but they're now very disenfranchised to it and they're kind of jaded and they, they point out all the, they notice all the bad things about it first. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's me. That's part of why this tweet resonated with me is that very much, I was like, yeah, no, I'm very much the Thane. Um, but I also know a lot of people, not going to name any names, Dan, um, who are, <laughs> who are much more like Sienna where it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have unfounded loyalty. What, what you guys hate me? <laughs> <We're>... <laughs> what? Why, why am I Sienna? What the, what's going on here, Noma? Where, where, where it's much, it's much more like, yeah, no, secretly I want to bang you in a cave. Uh, <laughs> what? But... <laughs> this episode just got really weird. No, um, not in in this in more in the fashion of where it's much more like it is there is a very deep rooted very kind of diehard loyalty towards i was gonna say the empire but towards you know star wars and they see the good in it first they would rather be you know you know okay, you, you okay, would rather okay. be you redeem yourself you redeem yourself yeah oh good i'm mannequin <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know you would you would rather be in there seeing the good in it and then from that good side trying to change the Empire, Star Wars, than, you know, being on the outside screaming angry things, trying to, you know, take it down from the outside looking like some sort of attacker. Um, and I thought, I was like, yeah, you know, that, that especially on the internet, those seem to be the two sides that I see a lot. Whereas the people saying, this is garbage, everything's on fire, why did would they even let this happen? Um, and then the people going, you know, it's not as bad as you guys think. It some parts aren't great, but you know, at least they're trying and they're doing all this this stuff that wasn't happening before. So I was just curious what you guys think of that kind of similarity. I do agree with the with the sentiment 
that the the fan base is very divided and this is a good way to describe them though it isn't that crazy outright this is terrible and everything's bad and why did they do this kind of thing it, mm. like that you can't really find any comparison for that was kind of just un unbecoming rage from fans of this series like we were all fans of the series we were all sienna and thanus kids at one point yeah seeing yeah. stars like oh my yes this is great and we're gonna have all the great things when we grow up we're gonna have all the great things too mm-hmm. and i definitely see myself in like you know in the thane category where it's just been like what has my star wars become mm-hmm. to a certain degree like i'm i'm not no that's that i'm i would be lying if i said that I did not like episode eight. I very <laughs> much disliked, but not completely hated episode seven. Mm-hmm. It's I just, hear you. they've also done things like Rogue One and Solo, which I know a lot of people didn't like as well, but I enjoyed for the fact of Han. Mm-hmm. Um, like they've done things I have enjoyed, so it can't be completely upset with everything everywhere that Star Wars has gone. I'm I'm that guy who's holding out hope that you know episode nine yeah right let me hear it first like I I will be going as soon as possible if not day one to see that thing just to see mm-hmm. everything that they've they've corrected so yes it is a great great uh, I don't want to use the word metaphor but it was a great comparison was, a great comparison yeah mm-hmm. to see like yeah. They're, the fan base is divided, and we have much to consider at this point when we think about, like, well, we'll see at Celebration. You throw all of the question in the air, new trilogies, the greatest, and you have people throwing bottles at you or something like that. And then you'll just yeah. have to be like, what are you talking about? So hopefully, with that being said, with Episode 9's release, hopefully we come to some sort of Return of the Jedi kind of state where it's just like, hey, we're all happy again and the galaxy's at peace and Star Wars fandom is at peace and everything's mm-hmm. fine and let's look forward to the next one is where I'm currently sitting. If if it was just, okay, here's episode eight and there's no episode nine, absolutely I would be 100% Thane being like, this is dumb and it's bad and we need to change things. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Very fair. So we're we're on the cusp. Yes. <laughs> but Dan, what about it was, you? It was oh, a great yeah. sentiment. Um, I I think that you're you're right in the fact that I like to see the the, the good things in the world, um, mm-hmm. especially in Star Wars because I, I really do appreciate Star Wars and it's done a lot for me growing up as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I do have some. I don't I don't voice it as much, but I do have some um, skepticism. Yeah, dis- not disapproval per se, but some skepticism in the fact that it just some sometimes you are not you think something's going to happen or you think it's going to be certain thing and then you get something else and you're a little disappointed in it um but i mean for what it is like they can't make everybody happy you know what i mean and that's Mm. that's where my kind of optimism plays into effect like if something does happen that i'm not super into i'm not like oh they've ruined my star wars i'm more of the mindset of it just it's the way it is and if it's something that i don't like i don't have to i don't have to read it again i don't have to talk about it really i can just move on to the next star wars thing 
You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it makes sense. And I'm not as I'm not super critical on things. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, um, <laughs> but I really enjoy Star Wars for the adventure that it is, and for what it has, like I said, given me growing up as a kid. So I, I do agree with you mm-hmm. that I I am Sienna in that way, where I like to see the good things in the world and not look at all the the bad that's happening around me but at the same time you do have to acknowledge it Mm -hmm. so um yeah thank you uh thank you um jordan for submitting that uh, little comment there it was really nice and i'm glad we got to talk about it because it's something that we really haven't really discussed on the podcast before so or we didn't even notice that connection so thank you for Mm -hmm. submitting that before we get into the books just a quick kind of overview that we like to do at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, we would love to hear what you thought of these books. So if you have any any opinions, any kind of fellow critiques or your own critiques, things that you agree or disagree on with us, uh, let us know. You can leave a question, comment, or a theory at any of the places below. And those are our email, which is voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. Uh, If you're doing that, please include Temple Archive 6 in the subject. As well, you can get a hold of us through our Facebook, which is www.facebook.com slash voiceforcepod. Comment on the episode post with the hashtag VOTF. And our Twitter, which is twitter.com slash voiceforcepod. Be sure to use the hashtag VOTF and tag us at voiceforcepod. I'm just going to give you guys a quick little public Star Wars announcement. Uh, The first part of that is that we are going to be going very spoiler heavy into this uh, summary. So if you're interested in these books, uh, the first one is Star Wars Aftermath. And the comic is Darth Vader Volume 2, Shadows and Secrets. If you're interested in either of these, we would definitely recommend going out and you know, reading through those before you listen to this. Um, if you're not, the summary is mostly for people who either aren't interested in the books at all or and uh, but do want to know about the Star Wars lore or people who haven't read these in a while and want to get caught back up. Um, but we definitely support, you know, going out and grabbing these and supporting the official releases because, you know, we want to show Lucasfilm and Disney that we like this stuff and we want more of it. And the best and easiest way to do that is to go and support the existing release stuff. Anyways, with that being said, let's jump into our first novel. That one is Star Wars Aftermath. The author is Chuck Wendig and the cover artist is Christopher M. Zucker. The title features the second Death Star starting to explode with the tagline, the war is not over. It's a very nice color. It's, or it's a very nice cover. It's got a very striking color contrast between kind of dark blue grays, kind of violent red in, in a few areas to accent a little bit, and then a stark white background. Um, and with that being said, let's get into the synopsis. Opening Crawl. The second Death Star is destroyed. The Emperor and his powerful enforcer, Darth Vader, are rumored to be dead. The Galactic Empire is in chaos, 
Across the galaxy, some systems celebrate, while in others, Imperial factions tighten their grip. Optimism and fear reign side by side, and while the Rebel Alliance engages the fractured forces of the Empire, a lone Rebel scout discovers a secret Imperial meeting. Part 1 The story begins on Coruscant, former capital of the Galactic Empire. A large group of people have gathered in Monument Plaza to see the tearing down of Emperor Palpatine's iconic statue. The statue does not fall at first, but using a speeder attached to some chains that are wrapped around it, it finally does. The crowd erupts into applause. Then, out of nowhere, three Imperial policemen on speeders arrive, firing into the crowd. In anger, the crowd fights back, throwing stones. A man in the crowd hands his young son, Jack, a stone to throw, realizing this is only the beginning to yet another war. In the Outer Rim, Captain Wedge Antilles comes out of hyperspace in front of the planet Akiva. He has been doing some low-key reconnaissance for the New Republic, searching Outer Rim worlds for signs of the Empire, theorizing that they will go to the Outer Rim to avoid the Republic. His communications are jammed, and two Imperial Star Destroyers drop out of hyperspace and hail his ship. He gives them a fake name, but on the Star Destroyer Vigilance, Admiral Ray Sloan sees through his ruse and engages the tractor beam, pulling his little starhopper towards the Star Destroyer. When his ship approaches landing, Wedge detonates it and jumps, injuring himself, but escaping into the ship's ducts. Nora Wexley also approaches Akiva, her home planet. She has been serving the Rebel Alliance for years, and now that the war is coming to an end, she wishes to come home to her son. The two Imperial Star Destroyers launch TIE Fighters to prevent her from running through the blockade, but along with smuggler Oberto Noicho, they fight their way onto the planet safely, destroying the ties. On the surface of Akiva, Sinjir Rath Velas, a former Imperial loyalty officer, sits at a bar drinking, as he spends every day. A male Twi'lek called Orgadomo Dokura approaches and shows Sinjir the latest propaganda coming out of the New Republic, a holovid of Princess Leia speaking of the fall of the Galactic Empire and the destruction of the second Death Star. Sinjir has seen the Death Star blow up before. He was on Endor when it happened. An Imperial officer and two stormtroopers enter and see them watching the propaganda. Although Sinjir tries to fade away and let them move on, the Twi'lek speaks up against them. The Imperials start a fight, and before Sinjir knows what he's doing, he takes down the officer and his stormtroopers, leaving the bar with his new companion. Also on Akiva is Temin Wexley, playing a game of galactic expansion with a repurposed interrogator droid. Three thugs walk in, employees of Surat Nuat, a Celestin gangster on Akiva. When they threaten him for stealing something very valuable of Surat's, he tricks them into checking out his highly modified B-1 battle droid, Mr. Bones. Temen activates Mr. Bones, who takes on all three thugs. Shots are fired from the main entrance, and when Temen looks, he is surprised to see his mother, Nora Wexley. By this time, a third Imperial Star Destroyer has arrived above Akiva, 
These Imperial Star Destroyers have brought Grand Moff Valko Pandion, General Jillia Shale, Slaver Arson Crassus, and Yup Tashu, a Sith cultist and former advisor to the Emperor. Meanwhile, Wedge is crawling in the ventilation shafts of the Vigilance, with Admiral Ray Sloan searching high and low for him. He reaches the comm station and tries to send out a message to the New Republic, but as soon as he calls for help, he is shot in the shoulder from behind by Sloan. She takes him aboard her shuttle down to the planet to meet the other Imperial leaders. Back on Akiva, Nora and Temin share a brief hug where she realizes he's grown into a man during the three years she's been gone. Temin sends Mr. Bones away to dispose of the bodies and shows his mom around his shop, built in his family's former house. He reveals that he sells junk upstairs, but through a secret passage, he sells real treasures down below, including blasters, thermal detonators, and books. She is shocked and tries to convince him to stop, but he is angry that she left and abandoned him, choosing the Rebel Alliance instead of him. Realizing that he won't listen to her, she says she is sorry and stabs a needle into his neck, knocking oh. him unconscious and carrying him away, with the goal of taking him off the planet. In an interlude... A father on Salukumai and his two sons are sharing dinner. The two sons, Dav, a former soldier for the Rebel Alliance, and Webb, a loyal supporter of the Empire and former student at the Imperial Academy, are bickering. The father gives an anti-war speech and talks about Old Cut, who was a soldier who decided not to fight. This is a reference to Cut Laquane, a clone trooper who deserted the clone army. Imperial ties appear and fire, and Dav realizes that Webb turned him into the Empire. Dav's father knocks out Webb and gives Dav his speeder, and Dav flees. Back on Akiva, Jazzy Murray watches as Arson Crassus's opulent yacht, the Golden Harp, arrives on the planet, waiting to kill him in order to collect the large bounty on his head. Right before she takes the shot, she sees more ships land, the rest of the Imperial leaders, she realizes if she can capture or kill them all, she will collect an even larger bounty, as they are all wanted individuals. Morna Key, Admiral Sloan's pilot, sees the bounty hunter, and Sloan shoots down her perch. Sloan introduces the Imperials to each other in the Satrap's palace in Mira, the capital of Akiva, and after being swamped with questions about the gunfire outside the palace, she reveals to the others that she has taken Wedge Antilles prisoner, she feels strong tension with Grand Moff Pandian, who clearly sees her as a threat to his intentions to rule. In an interlude on the planet of Nalol, Chancellor Mon Mothma visits the site of a recent battle. The town is still in flames and prisoners are being marched away. Her two chief advisors, Hostis and Oxy, debate with her about the merits of decreasing the size of the military after seeing how one small battle could change forever the lives of the people on this planet, Mon Mothma realizes that war must not be a constant state of existence and decides to go ahead with the vote to demilitarize. When Jazzy Mari awakes from her fall from her perch, she finds Surat, the gangster, and a bunch of his thugs surrounding her. He thinks she's in league with his main competition, Temin, and takes her captive. He is afraid of the New Republic because he knows they will crack down on his illegal businesses. When Surat returns to his shop, he finds Sinjir there, who is searching for a way to get off the planet before more Imperials come and find out about his desertion. 
When Sinjir sees Jazz, he has a flashback to Endor, where after the Rebels had blown up the shield generator, he saw a female Zabrak bounty hunter flee the scene. He now realizes that the woman was the one he sees before him now. When he tries to talk to Surat in order to free her, Surat suspects him of treachery and tells his thugs to fire upon him. Sinjir avoids being shot, but is soon knocked unconscious. Admiral Akbar is on his flagship, Home One, practicing his skills with a car shock when he is interrupted by Ensign Deltura, who tells him that Captain Antilles is no longer responding to his comms and has not checked in recently. Akbar sends out a search team looking for the lost captain. It's a trap! When Temin wakes up from the drugs that put him to sleep, he finds himself with his mother on a smuggler's ship. She needs his help to get to one of the freighters so that they can escape the planet. But he starts arguing, telling her he can't leave his whole life behind. He tells her he has a plan, then steals a speeder, drawing the attention of an entire squadron of stormtroopers. Two speeders follow closely behind, firing their lasers with the clear intent to kill. Instead of going into the forest to lose them, like his mother suggests, Temen takes up into the city, where the streets are barely large enough for them to navigate. After losing one of the stormtroopers' speeders, Temen jumps off his own speeder, landing on the other Imperials and taking out the driver. Nora has no choice but to speed on, realizing once again she has lost her son. In the Satrap's palace, the meeting between the leaders of the Empire begins. The group assembled is named the Imperial Future Council, IFC, with the goal of planning the future of the Empire, with revelations that two rebel A-Wing fighters were shot down by the Vigilance before they could escape to report their findings, the meeting is thrown into chaos once more. There is little trust between each individual present and the constant jockeying power. Pandian insists that Sloane bring out the entire Imperial fleet that is hide in hiding in order to surprise the New Republic when they bring an armada, but in the end, Sloane's idea of sending the Imperial Star Destroyers away so that their ships cannot be detected wins. And with that, the space above Akiva is once again clear. Nora speeds off to the home of her sister, Esmel, and instead of finding Temin there, as he promised, she is alone. Temin has returned to his shop, spying on the thugs who were ransacked. They still have, haven't found the secret entrance to the lower half of his shop. However, he falls off the roof because of how slippery it is, and the noise draws the attention of one of the thugs, who captures Temin. Soon after, Nora shows up, looking for her son, and shoots the only thug still there after he tries to shoot her first. Sinjir wakes up in a cage, dangling from the ceiling in a dark room, after someone threw several stones at him. When he looks around, he sees that it was Jazz who was throwing the stones. She uses a lockpick that she keeps hidden in a fake horn on her head to pick the lock, then goes and releases him. As they make their way out of Surat's place, they learn he plans to remove Temin's tongue and has a thug lead him to an operating room. Jazz pushes Sinjir in, and he defeats one of Surat's thugs and steals away with Temin. However, right as they are about to leave the cantina above Surat's prison, a quartet of stormtroopers arrive. They sneak out the side door, taking out one of Surat's thugs, but are soon pursued into a dead end. Jazz drops her blaster in surrender, but then, through the lightning, 
Temin sees Mr. Bones behind the Imperials and thugs. Mr. Bones jumps into the fray, and Jazz, Temin, and Sinjir take off. As they do, Nora pulls up in a speeder, escorting them to safety. As the meeting goes on with the Empire's leaders, Ray Sloan slowly realizes that nothing of importance will ever come out of this meeting. Pandion is calling for direct confrontation, the style of which has lost them the war at this point, whereas Tashu is calling for retreat to the Outer Rim, where they should learn the ways of the dark side of the Force. Arguments rage, and no conclusions are made. In an interlude, on Chandrilla, during a news broadcast, an angry citizen throws rotten food at Olia Choco, a New Republic relations representative. Instead of taking the citizen away, Olio calls him forward, asking to hear his concerns. She then proposes that he become a member of the new Senate in order to voice these concerns and have them addressed. The citizen is shocked, but he gladly takes the opportunity. Jazz and Sinjir are crowded around a table, examining a makeshift map in order to plan their capture of the Imperials. Nora walks in, and then Temin, and they all discuss what to do about the secret meeting taking place in the palace. They decide to work together, splitting the bounty, and more importantly for Nora, doing her duty to the New Republic. After not hearing back from the search team, Admiral Akbar sends out a probe droid into the Akivan system in order to find out more information. The last thing he wants to do is fall into another Empire trap. The probe droid finds traces of the destroyed ships and reports back. Akbar then decides that it would be best to send a small strike force of commandos into Akiva to get a ground report on the events taking place there. John Burrell is in the atmosphere above Akiva. He and his fellow five Republic commandos make a jump from a shuttle into the air. However, right as they jump, the shuttle is blown up. Then a bright flash of turbo laser, and one of his fellow commandos is shot down. Soon, Burrell is the only one left alive, and he makes a very rough crash landing onto the planet's surface below. In an interlude, on the planet Savarkos, a site where the Empire used slaves to mine spice, a battle between the New Republic and Empire rages. Three slaves are huddled away from the battle, torn about what to do. One of them says they must run before the Empire wins and sends them back into the mines. However, the Wookiee among them suggests they charge into battle, believing they should help the Republic soldiers defeat the Imperials. He runs out, ducking laser fire, to release some rancors kept captive by the slavers and unleashes them onto the battlefield. The tide of the battle is turned and the New Republic wins. The three slaves decide to explore the galaxy on their own, free to do as they please now. Part 3. The slang of the commandos has sent the meeting of the Imperial Future Council into even more chaos. Pandian suggests they fight the New Republic head-on, knowing that they will soon send their fleet. But Shale believes this will only lead to the defeat of the Empire once and for all. Sloane tries to calm everyone down and pretend that nothing bad is happening, and finally they agree to once again start the meeting. Meanwhile, John Burrell wakes up from his crash landing to see three stormtroopers standing in front of him. He quickly disposes of the troopers despite the pain he is in. 
Nora and Jazz travel together through Mira, the capital of Akiva. They see a random citizen throw a rotten fruit at a pair of stormtroopers, a good sign that the people are fed up with the Imperial occupation. Jazz heads to Temin's shop, where she clears out the thugs who were attempting to drill their way into the lower half of his shop, where the real goods lie. They then head to the rooftops, where two ties are parked. While Nora distracts the pilots, Jazz uses her sniper to take them down. Nora then steals one of the ties. Meanwhile, Sinjir walks up to an Imperial communication station, telling the stormtroopers he is an Imperial and demands to see their officer. Grudgingly, they call up their officer, and when the scans ensure that he really is Sinjir Rath Velas, who is supposed to be dead, they let him in. Inside, Sinjir steals the officer's pistol, shooting him in the back. Mr. Bones jumps in and takes care of the two stormtroopers. Once in the comm station, they make a holovid showing a supposed Imperial officer coldly shooting an innocent child in the back. They then broadcast this across Mira, planting the seeds for an uprising. In an interlude, on the planet Terrace, three acolytes of the beyond, Sith worshippers, purchase a red lightsaber from a dealer who claims the lightsaber belonged to Darth Vader before his death. They say they plan on destroying it, so that it can return to its master in death. However, while the lightsaber's blade is red, there is no guarantee it is actually Vader's. At the comm station, Temin, Sinjir, and Mr. Bones head to the rooftop to escape. On the roof, they hear d the distinctive sound of TIE fighters as to appear in the sky. They take cover as the TIEs shell the comm station with laser fire, intent on destroying it before more propag propaganda can be spread. Mr. Bones jumps into the air as the second TIE passes, breaking its windshield and taking it to the ground. A third TIE enters the fray and starts shooting at the first blindsiding it, and taking it out of the sky. After dispatching the first tie, Nora takes off for the Satrap's palace, but is dogged by two more ties. Taking one down, she aims for the shuttles that are the Imperials' only lifeline off this planet. Admiral Sloan sees this, and thinking quickly, fires a turbo laser at Nora from the ground, totally destroying her right wing and sending her into a death spiral. Nora aims for the shuttles as she crash lands, with one last wish that they actually put ejector seats in these fighters. Sloan looks out from the palace windows to survey the damage. All three Imperial shuttles have been taken down, but fortunately, Crassus's yacht wasn't on the planet and is still functional. She notices a growing crowd outside of the palace, Akivans who are ready for change, creating a dull roar of noise. She returns back to the meeting and tells the rest of them that they will be leaving on Crassus's yacht as soon as it arrives back on the planet. In an interlude, in hyperspace, Han, Han Solo and Chewbacca travel to Dasur. As soon as they pull out of hyperspace, they receive a transmission from an old friend named Imra. She men mentions that she has a job on Kashyyyk, the homeworld of the Wookiees, with a very small window of time. Han tells Imra to gather everyone they know and tells Chewbacca to gather some of his fellow freed Wookiees so that they can head down to the planet and free their homeworld. After the TIE fighter crashes into the palace, the power goes out temporarily, freeing Wedge from his shackles. He sneaks around the palace, narrowly avoiding being caught by stormtroopers looking for him. Once he comes across a secret passage, 
He uses it to ambush Sloane's personal assistant, Adia Wright, wounding her and stealing her hollow screen, allowing him to send a message to the New Republic calling them to war. Sloane soon finds the body crumpled up on the ground, with the hollow screen open to a rebel frequency. Meanwhile, the team of Jazz, Temin, Sinjir, and Mr. Bones reassemble. However, Jazz tells the group that Nora died completing her objective. Temin starts to break down into tears, when the door opens and a cloaked figure sets, sits down at the end of the table. When Nora pulls back the veil and reveals that she is alive and that ties truly do have an ejector seat, Temin launches himself towards her to embrace her in a huge hug. In an interlude, on Coruscant, Jack walks through the most dangerous underworld levels on the planet. Using a special card, he is allowed entrance to meet the Thorn, where he asks for a weapon. Having saved the life of one of the Thorn's closest companions, he wants to use it to take up power in Coco Town with the help of the Ankle Biter Brigade, a group of very young kids fighting against the Empire. Back on Akiva, the planet is consumed in turmoil. People burn effigies of the Satrap and Darth Vader in the streets, chanting and raging at the Empire and the Satrapy. Jazz watches it all, proud of herself and her new friends for setting the spark to set Mira ablaze. Meanwhile, Sinjin tells Nora to trust him, because even though he was an Imperial, it was his job to hunt down other Imperials, to find the weaknesses in them, and punish them accordingly. When Temin returns from his shop with maps of the catacombs below Mira, they plan on how to sneak into the palace using the catacombs. However, their plan involves traveling past the old underground droid factory, which is supposedly haunted and where no one has ever returned from alive. They plan to use some thermal detonators from Temin's shop to blow holes into the walls of the palace once they get there. In an interlude, on Naboo, Two kids from the Anklebiter Brigade are meeting potential parents, people who could adopt them. One of the kids feels entirely out of comfort with all the rich nobles around, and decides to run away from it all, hoping to find a transport back to Coruscant, where he can rejoin the hot war between the rebels and the Empire. Finally, beginning their trek into the catacombs, Jazz pulls Temin back and asks him about his crate. When he says it's a weapon... She tells him that he's wrong and opens it for him. What's inside are data cubes, and they agree to sift through the information on them and sell them to the right client as soon as this is over. When they near the droid factory, Sinjir begins to probe Temin, thinking he's hiding something secret from them down here. He throws a stone at the droid factory entrance to prove it isn't haunted, but then a mechanized howling comes from the inside, and they all start running. Admiral Akbar has received Wedge's transmission, a very short message calling for help. He decides now is the time to act, sending a small fleet to Akiva, with more in reserves, ready to arrive at any sign of trouble. In the palace, Sloane is still attempting to calmly control the situation as the others of the IFC grow in increasingly restless and angry with her. The shuttle is taking too long to arrive, she thinks, but nothing can be done about that. She decides to call the three Star Destroyers back into the system, ready for battle when it arrives. Jazz turns to fire at the oncoming horde. At first, they look like droids, with glowing eyes and mechanized whales running along the walls like spiders. However, as they approach, she realizes they are not droids, but creatures. Noseless, with a mouthful of sharp teeth, 
identified by Temin as Ugtin. As they approach, they keep getting closer and closer, an entire hive, and she can't stop them. Temin comes back, tugs on her shoulders, telling her to come along, and she relents. As they start running, he realizes they have a box of detonators. Pulling Mr. Bones along, who wants to stand and fight to protect Temin, he pulls one detonator out of the box, setting it, and then throws it back. They all sprint for safety. When the tunnel explodes, a huge collapse happens, and the Ugtin are blocked off from following them. With no explosives to blow their way into the palace, Sinjir decides that he will head to the surface to contact the palace himself, pretending to be an Imperial once again. His plan is to tell them to open the doors to the catacombs from the inside, telling them it's their only path to safety. In an interlude, on Tatooine, a man named Adwin Chauru, a member of a new local mining company, is attempting to buy goods from the Jawas in one of their massive sand crawlers. Knowing there are real goods hidden in there, he keeps trying to tell them that he doesn't want the junk they have on display, but they won't listen. A local man named Cobb Vanth shows up and tells him that he must build rapport with the Jawas by first buying small stuff before they'll let him see the good stuff. He offers to take Adwin in, and they go. Soon, they start arguing over a set of acid-stained Mandalorian armor, and Cobb shoots Adwin, styling himself as Sheriff Vanth. He tells Adwin that he won't let the crime syndicates come to Tatooine under the guise of mining companies and take over his planet after the fall of the Hut Cartel. Back on Akiva, John Burrell is trying to save the day single-handedly. Knowing the coordinates of one of the turbo lasers, he takes out the three stormtroopers guarding it, with the goal of shooting down any Imperial ships. When he sits down in the console, he sees a large yacht with an Imperial code descending towards the palace. Instead of firing at the ship, the turbo laser makes a clicking sound, showing that it was damaged by the fight with the stormtroopers. He races to fix it. Jazz, Temin, Nora, and Mr. Bones lie waiting to ambush stormtroopers outside of the palace so that they can sneak in. However, instead of coming through the gate, stormtroopers sneak up on them from behind, blocking any escape route. Nora has a chilling moment where she believes that Sinjir has sold them out. Captured, they enter the palace as prisoners, and soon Sinjir is hauled out with them, hands bound and face bloodied. Then Temin stands up and walks over to Sloane, asking her to honor the deal with him and let him, his droid, and his mother go. However, Sloane refuses to let anyone go but him. In shock, Temin calls for his droid to help, but they take Mr. Bones down before he can even move, and Sloane fires six shots straight into his head, completely destroying it and knocking it off. They then take Temin to the roof with the intent of throwing him off the edge. Crassus's yacht finally arrives at the palace. When some protesters futilely throw rocks at the ships, some stormtroopers fire at the crowd, but Sloane pulls them back and chastises them. The stormtroopers throw Temin off the walls of the palace, but the crowd catches him, carrying him. He then runs to the walls and begins scaling them, drawing on his skills from his youth in the streets. Right as the yacht takes off, with the members of the IFC and the prisoners captured on Akiva aboard, Temin scales the wall. He grabs the vibro-lance of a fallen guard and uses it to make a running jump into the air, catching onto the ship. As soon as he makes it into the ship through a window, stormtroopers arrive, and he runs. John Burrell can't figure out how to make the turbo laser work, and in frustration, slams onto the console repeatedly. 
Suddenly, the turbo laser activates, homes in on the yacht, and Barrel fires. The yacht is shot straight in the middle, but can still fly, albeit detached into two barely connected parts. The stormtroopers chasing Temin are sucked into the void, and Temin barely hangs on inside. Then, the rebel fleet arrives in space. In an interlude, on Bespin, in Cloud City, a rich old man from Onderan has his house sacked by rebels. He refuses to give in to them, calling them traitors, and when they tell him the Emperor is dead and that the holovids of him alive and well are a fraud, he refuses to believe them. They then take him captive. Commander Agate leads the New Republic forces into battle, shaking as she always does. The battle quickly swings into her favor, and on Crassus's limping yacht, Temin uses the maintenance shaft connecting the two separate parts of the ship to pick the locks on the handcuffs of his friends, and they take Pandian hostage. The yacht crash lands on the Vigilance, killing Crassus, allowing Jazz to capture Tashu and Shale. Ray and her pilot, Morna, escape on a Lambda-class shuttle in the landing bay, so Nora takes a TIE fighter and follows them through the raging battle. She calms the rebel fleet and tells them that she's in a TIE, and they join her in chasing down the shuttle. On board the shuttle, Pandian appears and attempts to take control away from Sloane, but she disarms him and locks him in the main portion of the ship. She then blows up the shuttle, escaping in an escape pod with Morna to the only Star Destroyer still intact, the Vanquish. The Vanquish then takes off through hyperspace, ending in a large victory for the New Republic. Although Nora was injured in the shuttle explosion, she comes to a full recovery along with Wedge Antilles. She decides to join Jazz, Temin, Sinjir, Jom, and Mr. Bones in a new mission to track down Imperial targets as a team. Meanwhile, Sloane escapes to the Volpinus Nebula, where a growing Imperial fleet lurks. She speaks with an unknown fleet admiral, her superior, who tells her that the summit on Akiva was a test for her, which she passed, and that it helped weed out those in the Empire who were weak. All right, and that concludes the Aftermath summary. So, what did you guys think of that book? Ed, let's start with you. So, I'll let you do the acid armor part, because you know what we were all thinking. When we talked about. It's oh, only one set of armor, course. man. That's only one set of armor that it can be. And when I heard that, like, I'm like, oh. Acid green or just acid burn? It was acid burn. It said it was like yeah. acid yeah. speckled armor. So... You know Dude, that, that is it, from. and that's on Tatooine. Yeah. There's only one Mandalorian that was near any acid on Tatooine. Mm. Hmm? So they're pretty much all but confirming what we don't want them to confirm. Uh, you know what? He might have they... just left the armor. Shed it? Yeah, because it was covered in acid. Yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking as well, like, maybe he gets out, falls unconscious, and then the Jawas just strip him. Well, in, the, in, 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 the old, in the old in the old EU, this is the only shit I know because I read the he three books. Up. No, no, no. <laughs> well, he did, but he also yeah. he takes it off because it was uh, like speckled. Like he was he was badly injured. Like he someone rescued him, dragged him over to a cave, and was just, like trying to treat him. And it was I think it was not Ula, but the other one, the other Twilight girl dancer. And yeah, oh, they came up for a yeah, while and stuff. Yeah. So like. He'd be badly damaged. 
Okay, so my first point really comes from way, way back in the beginning, and we all know how I feel about Mon Mothma. <laughs> I think I'm going to agree <sighs> on this one. Yeah. Oh, it's like, it's... No, I won't get into that. But like, oh, military, and this uh, battle happened here, and it's been terrible, and the people can't ever get back to what they were, and they're damaged forever. No more military. Everybody go home. It's like, well... Well, they have 10% military after this. Yeah. Great! Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, we're gonna have ten percent of our military. Meanwhile, we see—well, we don't see—but like we figure out the empire is rebuilding their fleet. But you're gonna have ten percent of yours because people feel bad, because mm -hmm. people are scared. Because you've just finished something, you don't know if you finished it for sure. Oh, well, yeah. so, so this, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I'm gonna correct you on that. She said after this whole thing is done, once once they've tracked down and done uh, uh -huh. what they need to to the empire, then they demilitarize. Again, no. That's what that's what the correction <laughs> yeah. is there. I'm I'm saying that their de their demilitarization, like you've been at war for how many years, whatever. Yes, people want peace. You can have peace with a standing force. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Who's gonna pick a fight with the new republic now? No, you still have your military. Those people are yeah. still getting paid. Everything they're not gonna go shoot down village number A, three, and B. They don't care. They mm -hmm. don't they're just there to make sure, oh, are you imperial and you're hurting people? Well, we're gonna come stop you. Oh, are you a crime yeah. syndicate and you're going to hurt people? We're going to come stop you. This is your standing army to do all this. For the, your formative years as a new republic, you should have this until you know you have certain things in place where you can actually then say, all right, now we can cut down because these things protect us. We mm -hmm. have these things stationed here. But if you're all in disarray from what just happened, oh, no, we must disband our military when this is <laughs> – like, no. And it makes me so upset with this. Yeah. And and I agreed. I agree with you one hundred percent. There, I was internally screaming during that whole, like that whole debate. And the thing is, with this book, I feel like they're trying to push that you know the New Republic's pacifism works. But my problem is they contradict themselves within the book because there's that moment in Chandrilla, where the I can't remember what the alien species is, but comes up and says. Like, the New Republic came, drove the Empire away, and now the pirates have come because the New Republic doesn't care about us, and they've taken over everything, and now we're all starving. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. so so you're telling me, with the New Republic's current full military, they can't correctly police their entire galaxy. And they, they want to cut it down. Exactly. Like, are you dumb? Exactly. <laughs> you want to cut it down. And that's one thing in the new trilogy that never made sense to me, where the New Republic says... We just don't have a military, so you guys do it yourselves. First things first, this takes place months after episode six, so they're still trying to mm -hmm. get the Senate going and all that, right? Yeah. Um, and trying to get everything no, exactly. underway. So the, the military, like, you're right, the military is like the only thing they have as means of manpower for anything, whether it be peacekeeping, whether it be whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, or like, I guess, package distribution for supplies and things like that. Um, the the one thing that I do agree with is that Mon Mothma is on the Mon Mothma is on the right track, saying that she can't they they can't rule with an iron fist like the Empire did with mm -hmm. with you know a military force right and to police everything because mm -hmm. it just doesn't work we've seen it happen so she's right on that regard in my mind but I think cutting it to a ten percent is really rough. Um, because I mean, she wants to make it to a peacekeeping force, which makes sense. But that okay. being said, this is what kind of leads up to the Force Awakens, right? Where yeah, um, this is a huge mistake, right? The, like, they because they didn't know the First Order was was a thing until this mm -hmm. is thirty years later, and they've built up this massive force 
but basically the military might of the Republic is something that they've sworn that they do not want at all, which is the resistance. Mm. The resistance yeah, is the military she... might. So all the people that were let go of the military strength and military rank in the new Republic, they mm. moved over to the resistance, the ones that wanted to. And like, I'm not saying her principle is wrong. It's a great principle to have. Mm. Okay, because you came off as like hardline military. <laughs> no, but but there are better ways to deal yes, with it. Yes. Like, and I'm exactly. sure I'm sure Ed will back me on this, because before when, beforehand with Mon Mothma, I didn't really know much about. I mean, all the knowledge is episode six, right? Yeah, there's um, a lot of stuff with Mon but, Mothma later on in other novels, so you'll be okay. Good to know that. But the 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 only problem I'm getting with this is now with a lot of her things like Rebels and and these books. Mon Mothma's, Mon Mothma's coming across as a hardline pacifist who is, who is only looking at the short term. Now, ironically, we already had a character in Star Wars who is a hardline pacifist, but plays but is willing to look at the long term, which at this point is superior Mon Mothma, and that person was Padme Amidala. Yep. Because she was a hardline pacifist, but she did Other understand that Exactly. She understood that she'd need to she'd need to get her hands dirty to save other people, and that you can you couldn't approach a war like this from a peaceful perspective. You can try. That's, the other that's side I, will not, and they yeah. do not care, and they will take advantage of you doing all this stuff. Yeah, right. But but that was but that was something I loved about Padme in the Clone Wars and the movies was that she tried at least every time she would try. And it, and you when know, it failed, talk and, and she had a back backup plan. Exactly, the plan wasn't like, well, maybe we should show them we can be more pacifist and destroy our military. It was, well, it sucks, but they leave us no choice. We have to use the military now. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> no, I get I you know, guys. She... Yeah, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's that was my first real beef with. With that, and I wanted to continue that because I think Mon Mothma could have been a great character, and they keep turning her into this wet blanket. But yeah. now, what would a Star Wars anything be without betrayal? Um, I'll be honest, as much as I like to read into things, and I thought I'd pick it up, I did not pick up on the Temin betrayal sort of thing at all. Oh, yeah. With the no, I mean, like, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna go do this, go, right, let, let me go, and let my mom go, and all this stuff. She was like, Okay, but you've been with these people and you see what they want to do. Like, mm. like I mean, the Imperials, like near the yeah, end, where like, he betrays uh, everybody exactly. and says, mm -hmm. makes a deal with the Imperials. Yeah, it's yeah. like, how many times have we seen up to now? Because this is post episode six. How many times the deals with the Empire go to crap? Exactly. <laughs> Lando, Pray I do not offer it any further. Or change it any further. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Right? But like, Every, every time somebody makes a deal with them, it goes bad. Now, what do they do? This is the most like barbaric act, like simple barbaric yeah. act. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like, okay, we're, yeah, we're gonna shoot your droid in the head and blow it up, and then we're gonna throw you off a roof. That was, I could not believe that the stormtroopers right? did that. And then they get, like, then it gets caught by all the crowd. I thought that was hilarious. Cr dude, I thought it was, yeah. Gonna, I thought it was a scare tactic. Just like, yeah, you're gonna give up everything up now. It's like, okay, I'll talk. I'll talk. It's like, no, we're throwing you off the roof. What? Yeah, we're throwing you off the roof. Bye. See ya. The, so. I, I realized that the that Temin the Temin betrayal was coming. It took me a while. Like I didn't I did definitely didn't see the beginning, but it was 
when he was still concerned after they'd gotten away from the what are they called the the Oog team I think yeah the the mm-hmm. droid alien mixture yeah yeah, yeah. Like, the, like the creatures wearing droid armor yeah because because I fell for that one you know when when Sinjin is or Sinjir is talking to uh, Jazz and says oh Something's you know he's hiding on. something yeah yeah and I was like well and and I was thinking like the whole time until it turned out that they were they weren't droids. I was like, all right, well, clearly Temin went into the factory and screwed exactly, around. Exactly, yeah. Stuff and, yeah, now there's just crazy Mr. Bones legions in there. So I was like, yeah, no, you want to avoid that. And then, But then, yeah, after they leave and they're in the tunnel waiting, and it's like, Temin's still fretfully doing stuff, so-and-so. And I went, oh, wait a minute, is that? Oh, no. Yeah, and then that's <laughs> when you, you clued in on it? Yeah, but then you guys are right as well. There's this weird flip-flopping that goes on with Sloan stuff, like... <laughs> It's it's so strange because the, the character that she was set up as in New Dawn and in most of this book is that she's a very stern books imperial officer, but understands that unnecessary cruelty doesn't help the Empire. Exactly. And yet... Yeah, like she stops the stormtroopers in this book from firing into the crowd and then pitches a kid into off, the crowd. Off of the roof. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe she knew that it wouldn't kill him because there's just so many people out there. Like, who knows what she was thinking. I thought she wanted to throw him out there because there were so many people out there. Kind of like, here's your martyr. To yeah. me, it was a Simba moment from The Lion King. <laughs> and and that, that was also something that screwed with me because I, as far as I can, as far as I remember, they don't specify how big the castle is. But it's, when I, I, I assumed it was like quite a few hundred, not hundred, uh, tens of feet tall. Like maybe like okay. 75 to 100 feet tall. Yeah. See, because I was thinking like sci-fi, just like giant castle meters tall yeah right? like if they're on coruscant again kind of thing you don't see the ground yeah exactly so when, when they threw him i was like well bye bye Temin. and then it's yeah. like they caught him and i was like wait what <laughs> yeah <laughs> like how far how many of their arms are broken yeah. yeah he basically just did a stage dive yeah well it, it reminded me of and i i couldn't stop I, I was trying not to laugh on on public transit while i was listening to this but there's i don't know if you guys have ever watched uh there's a show called it's always sunny in philadelphia yep mm-hmm. yeah so it reminds me of there's this great bit with uh, the these characters called uh, I'll, I'll speed through this if people haven't listened to or haven't seen Always Sunny, but there are these weird characters called the McPoyles, and there there's an episode where basically one of them's hanging off the edge of a building, and he basically gets put like he's holding onto someone's hand, but he basically gets pushed out of the guy's grip. And so they have this dramatic thing where he's like falling and all the characters are screaming, and the one guy's like, "Oh my God, no!" And then he falls like two and a half feet. <laughs> and he's just fine and they're all just like oh oh he's yeah no, it's, it's yeah it's, it's, i guess i guess we're fine and it, just, it reminded me of that where i was like oh god he's dead they've killed this child oh he's okay he's good <laughs> yeah it's he's the exact crowd, same I, reaction i get yeah he's light enough that he could crowd surf i guess all right well <laughs> now this is gonna branch into two different parts because aftermath and then like you said leads up to uh, leads up to episode seven, but pretty much leads up to the Battle of Jakku. Mm-hmm. And this unknown admiral that we see, I'm just wondering if it's Commander Versio or Admiral Versio from Battlefront 2 story. I know they said it was supposed to be like their own kind of thing. Well, oh, see, it's like, right, because they're building a fleet. He looks like he's in, he's at least in charge of something. Because mm-hmm. there's, from Versio's what we've seen dead, the game, though, isn't he? Doesn't he get killed? Not here, I believe. Yeah, isn't, this, in... isn't it the offensive before? Oh, you're right. Still Empire, you're right. You're right. You're right. Right. Yeah, this takes place they... months after episode six. You're right. This comes before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so at this point, he, I'm guessing they're reporting to him and all this, and it's like, okay, and then, like, I, I almost expect to see at the end of the book, like, continued in Star Wars Battlefront 2. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no, so, so the nice thing about this whole series of Aftermath, because Aftermath is a three-book um, series, is that the characters that were introduced to in the previous novels do come back in the next ones. So, spoiler alert, there is a reveal of who that is. Um, I don't want to tell you who it is because it actually is very interesting. Um, okay. And and it's not Thrawn. It's not Versio. It's it's somebody else. But we'll get to For that in, in, in the next in the next few uh, few books. As I was reading, I was like Thrawn, Thrawn. But then, I know yeah, I, I thought know. so too, and then I remember if they were going to take uh, Rebels and their canon from. I was like, oh no, he's somewhere else yeah he's, he's <laughs> way out there sometime else. yeah I, I i really i was like oh man is this thrawn it sounds like thrawn he's a smart guy too but then as the guy keeps talking you're like what? Mm, that doesn't thrawn. sound like thrawn yeah that doesn't it's, thrawn it's thrawn wouldn't yeah thrawn wouldn't like put his hand on someone else's shoulder no i don't think this is thrawn they'd oh. be 100 percent behind <laughs> his back exactly yeah um yeah that's it's a very interesting character that we get introduced to later on um hmm. but yeah uh noma what do you have uh so i just have i you guys have basically you guys are basically covering most of the points i had but there are there are only two points that i have and it's something I, I i talk about fairly frequently with these things but i'm always very uh impressed when an author goes back and brings up old star wars lore and puts it into um the current stuff or, you know, kind of brings back stuff from Legends. And there were two that really caught my attention. The first one was with Jazz. And for, I think, the first couple of chapters that she's in, I was actually wondering whether or not it was the character I was thinking of. Um, because I don't rem- I didn't remember her name, but she talks about her aunt, her aunt or her aunt Sugi, um, the Zabrak who was a bounty hunter and had been... Uh, basically influence her to become a bounty hunter in turn. Yeah. And as she, they were, as when you first meet her and she's talking and she's got that sniper rifle scene and all that, I was like, I feel like I, th- I, I know which character this is, but then I was thinking about it. I was like, no, wait, she'd be way too old to be the same character. Cause I was thinking of the Zabrak bounty hunter from Clone Wars mm-hmm. um, who runs with Embo and, and Boba's gang and all those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was like, and then I heard Sugi, and I was like, "Why does that name sound familiar?" So I looked it up, and her her aunt is the Zabrak bounty hunter from the Clone Wars. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I thought that was awesome. And I was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Oh, awesome!" <laughs> like we're getting a, this this cool family tradition line. And she also um, she had a crew that she did rely on and mm-hmm. knew like everything about them, right? So that's yeah, definitely them. it's not like introducing something new about that character too. It's something that you've seen in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. right so that is interesting i didn't actually make that connection until you just said that <laughs> yeah i knew yeah, i heard like, sugi before but i couldn't remember where i'm like eh, whatever but yeah no that's mm-hmm. awesome uh, the the only reason i remember that name is because the first episode they are in and i was also going to make a joke about how oh it's really cool because that means her 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 aunt is one of the star wars seven samurai um and that's why that name's yeah that's why that name stuck with me because the first episode that you meet sugi and embo and a bunch of the others is there's a Clone Wars episode that's it's just Seven Samurai. Yeah, it's the ex- it's the exact same story except for the twist with the villagers isn't quite as dark. 
in yeah. the Clone oh. Wars for obvious reasons. <laughs> this is the one where uh, they're training all the villagers, villagers to, to fight, fight back. back right? Yeah, against yeah, the pirates. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Hondo. I, I, yeah, against Hondo and all those. And I think the twist in the episode, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I think the twist is that the villagers either have weapons already. No, they or have pitchforks. Okay, so the, I I can't remember what the twist was. There's some twist with the villagers. I don't remember what it is that they were paying the pirates or something beforehand. Um, but the twist in Seven Samurai, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen uh, you know fifty year old film, is that the villagers have actually been killing samurai and collecting their armor and weapons. Oh damn! No. Um, yeah. Right. So like the tw- the equivalent twist would be they the villagers have actually been killing bounty hunters and taking their gear. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's Clone Wars. They're not going to do Jedi. that. Or Jedi. Or Jedi. Early... That'd be hilarious. Oh, that would have been so much darker. Yeah, that would have been great. But, uh... Thank you yeah, for but... helping us, Master Jedi. <laughs> Bye, yeah, Anakin. Exactly. Get him. <laughs> your things. Get but, him. I mean, it's early season Clone Wars, so they're not going to do that. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then the other one, which I was actually really surprised when they mentioned it. Um, and I'm curious if either of you guys caught it because of all the people to mention it, it's, um, Sloan's aide. Uh, uh, Adia. Yeah. Adia mentions when she's fighting Wedge, um, she mentioned something and I went, oh, wow. I haven't heard that in a long time. ICE? ICE? Um. ICE? The Imperial Combat Exercises? Or is it the military exercises from... Yeah, yeah. It's specifically when she's fighting, she talks about all the training styles that she learned in the Imperial Academy. Yeah. Uh And uh, one of them is Ichani fighting. And I went, oh! Oh, the Ichani! Ichani. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's from KOTOR. Yeah, KOTOR 2. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so she learned the same fighting style that the Handmaiden... uh, And, yeah, learned. The Handmaiden, what's his name, actually? Uh, Oh, yeah. Um, Your KOTOR 2... Uh, but damn it, the exile. Course, uh, not course. Oh wow, that's bad. Oh, um, you know who I'm talking about? The guy who counts like, or he does Pazak or Sabak in his head, so you can't read his mind. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, Cor- he, Corvo. At, I, I, I have no. Rand. Atten Rand. Yeah. Then. Yeah, because he he learned the Chani from somewhere. That's why he doesn't want to fight the handmaidens because they'll know he knows it, so he doesn't want to go. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, I had the same moment that, that Ed's having right now where like all these memories. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. yeah, I heard Iachani. I'm like, I recognize that from KOTOR. Yeah. Yeah, was, I was very surprised with that. There's a lot of throwbacks in this. Um, I don't know if you caught them all, but as soon as I was listening to the audiobook and I heard them say these things all the time, like uh, someone says from a certain point of view, someone says, <laughs> I have a, uh, Mr. Bowen says, I have a bad feeling about this. Other yeah, characters yeah. were saying other lines. Uh, from the original trilogy that like mm. were basically the exact lines of what the other characters were saying um, and they're very iconic lines so if you listen to the audiobook carefully you'll hear them say that and then you'll hear them say i don't remember which one it was but they said the same line about three times and i'm not i can't remember what it was but it was it would, that took me out of it for a second like the person chuck wendig put a lot of the old trilogy stuff in here you gotta make sure yeah. that you don't go too overboard with that kind of stuff you know what i mean yeah, mm-hmm. uh, after all, it's just kind of tacky. It was good. Um, what do you think, Dan? Uh, the... Does Noma have anything else he wants to say first? Uh, the only other thing that that really came to mind is that this was the first thing I'd ever seen Mister Bones in. Yeah, it's and... the first thing he's ever in. He was introduced oh, okay. here. He's an original character. 
Mm. And yeah, when we uh, when we were originally doing our favorite droid thing, and Dan brought him up, um, I think I mentioned at that point I I didn't have I didn't have Mr. Bones on my list at all because I didn't know anything about him. Yeah. And now seeing him, he's I can see why you like him, Dan. He's fantastic. <laughs> he's the best droid in yeah. the entire like everything. There, there's only one personality trait that I would change in him so that I would like him better, but I can definitely see why a lot of people like him. Like the child aspect of him where he's kind of like, do, 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 do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm never really on board with um, happy psychopaths, like gleeful, childish, m- manic. Yeah. Um, you were going to Afra next. You want to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's like I kind of mentioned. That's why I'm not a huge fan of, of uh, BT and Triple Zero. Yeah, Triple Zero is uh, kind of like enjoying the sadistic uh it, yeah it's, it's a little too it's a little t- too much like i feel like bring it back and have them be a little bit more serious but enjoying it then that's like my my perfect example for like happy sociopath is always um kimberly from full metal alchemist oh yeah oh okay yeah where it's that it's that perfect like he's happy he loves doing this he likes it a lot but he isn't that all the time he can turn dial that back into you know more serious or um you know, not always. He doesn't always have to have that gleeful psychopathy to him. Exactly. And I like he's that not a lowly. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Like I like that a little bit more because it, it makes them feel more nuanced. But for a droid, I think that that works a lot better because you know. Um, and yeah, on that note. And um, if you remember, he is Dan's favorite from a few podcasts yes, ago. Yes, favorite droid. And he imagine a BT battle droid, Roger, Roger, those ones, and imagine him painted red. Imagine with like an ocular implant on like the left eye, I believe it was. And mm. he has blades kind of fastened onto his arms and he's covered in like bones that can rattle around when he moves. And mm. he's a psychotic droid because he's programmed with a whole bunch of different martial art uh, programs and videos that he has learned from, but also and a dancer. Dances. That's where the <laughs> kind of like, do, 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 do. All right, Tevin, I'm coming, you know. Um, all that kind of stuff and like the, the humming and kicking and jumping and, and all that kind of stuff comes from. I just love Mr. Bones because he has a psychotic personality, but also he's amazingly just charming. Happy. Yeah, he's a, he's a happy, charmed robot that just loves to do what he does best, which is kill. It, it's, yeah, it's basically um, HK47 who doesn't hate humans and exactly. is happy all the time. And he looks badass. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, Mr. The, the, the cool. one, the one thing I thought of, unfortunately, as soon as they were like, "Oh yeah, he has a dancer trio like with them," and Singer's like, "Oh, that explains why they like music." Is I just, I immediately thought of the dance number from the Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah, and I was just like, "Oh, that was a, oh, ter- no. that was a terrible one." <laughs> um, like, the dancing helped him. Yeah. Oh God, you're just giving me flashbacks, Noma. Why would you do this? <laughs> All right. Um, other characters I really enjoyed was Sinjir Rathvelis. Awesome character. Ex-Imperial mm. loyalty officer, which is fantastic. So he has torture and he can like torture skills and read people's body language to a T, um, which is interesting. And that comes into play in this novel and in the future novels, which is really cool. Um, mm. Sinjir's character was also the first among the uh, characters in this book that were um like same-sex couples as well like he is a, a gay imperial and mm-hmm. uh there are other characters in this like temen's aunt i believe 
um was lesbian and mm. there was another character and i think one of the interludes that was that had like two dads one of the kid, you know the kids that uh the ankle biter br- ankle biter oh yeah brigade? The, yeah the, the jack i think right yeah i think his name's jack or something like that he mm. had two fathers and uh it, it thought it was interesting because i mean in a galaxy that vast you would assume that there would be you know like an lgbtq presence so a lot of people were kind of up in arms about this and other people really enjoyed it. And I just thought it was like a welcome kind of change into the Star Wars universe that kind of needed to happen to kind of bring it in our, like our political climate nowadays. You know what I mean? And it, yeah, the, it didn't the, take yeah. me out of it at all, really. Mm. I mean, I, the, it, sorry. No, no, no go no, ahead. Uh, Ed, you can well, go first. But like, for the sake of everything, it's just like these people, it's still Star Wars. These people are still doing, going about their day to day. We're still getting, like it. It it's didn't a piece make of them. a difference. It's not, it doesn't. It does. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't actually change their character. No. It just is a fact of that character, which is what, yeah. what it should be. Like, mm. It did. It did not change a thing for me. I was like, okay, cool, next yeah. sort of thing. No, how about you? Yeah, I was gonna say that um, the one thing that impressed me with it is the the way that they presented it because with, there uh, are some the bounty hunter in him. No, uh, okay. well, because because there's a there's a kind of yeah like the, but there's a setup before that because you there's a bad way to do it which is called Mass Effect Andromeda. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's well yeah there's an infamous scene where you're talking to some character, and you're one of the questions is uh, why did you come to Andromeda right because the the whole thing is they've moved across a galaxy it's taken them six hundred years they've been in deep freeze for all those and uh, the your character goes oh why did you come to the the the, the Andromeda galaxy. And the first response, first thing that this is the first thing this character said to you, just oh I'm trans, I felt like I didn't belong in the Milky Way galaxy, so I came here. All right. And it's like well, I what? No, no. That's, <laughs> that's what? a yeah. This is like that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I see why Andromeda is one of those games. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. there's a bunch of reasons, more reasons than that, yeah. but yeah, that, that's a big. But how one. do they do it in this but, novel, Noma? So in this one, the moment I realized, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure I, I know what they mean by this is when. Um, when Sinjir is talking to Nora and he mentions that, uh, one of the officers that he, or that he was forced to discipline. Yeah. He specifically, he refers to the man as he was beautiful. Yeah. He was like a handsome, handsome face and yeah. everything that does not look handsome anymore. And he said, I did that to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was a, he was a beautiful young man. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting word to use. That exactly. implies that you were attracted to him. And then when, yeah, when him and Jazz are arguing in in the, the underground and he goes no i i don't like women okay yeah because the implication at she's first like yeah because he goes to her he goes back and yeah. like they're walking through the tunnel so he kind of tracks back and talks to her it's like yeah. hey jazz do you have a minute i want to talk to you about something and she goes oh are we talking about this now and he's like yeah yeah and she says yeah i i could see us kind of getting together and and yeah, like he's, that. Like, and he's like what? wait what and yeah because he goes to talk about temen yeah about yeah. like him being a little suspicious and then she's like yeah. wait a minute why why do you say this and he's like oh i'm not into this and yeah, he's he, like, like kind I, of I don't gestures to her yeah yeah and she's and like oh aliens yeah and he's like no no no, women and she's like women. oh oh i see yeah. <laughs> it's like that's yeah great. and i was like that's that's good because i think that's one thing that is very important when you're making a character who is lgbt in in a novel and revealing that they are um because all of the people all of the lgbt people i know they've never like 
with him are, I don't know, our first three hanging outs or like meetings or whatever, they've never said that to me, right? It always comes up. Oh, what? I have a boyfriend What's or I have later? a girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. And you're exactly. just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's one of those things, right? But it's not, you, you don't just walk up and like, hello, my name is this. I am this. And uh, no, what? Like, yeah. that's not. It's not, it's not in a normal conversation. And and the interesting thing about the way they did it in this book is uh, Sinjir, when he first meets uh, Jazz again, they get captured and they're put into the cages. Um, and he's, he's like, yeah, I thought we had like a special moment on Endor way back. And like, mm-hmm. isn't the galaxy trying to tell us something? So there's kind of like a hint to Jazz there of like later on where she's like, yeah, I think we could get together. And yes. that's kind of like the plant that there was there for Jazz. And it, it wasn't like an unwarranted thought that she had because she thought he was mm. coming on to her and saying like the galaxy has brought us back together to be together. So I thought that was really interesting um, that mm. she took it that way. And it kind of is presented that way from the point of view of Sinjir during that scene as well. So I thought that yeah. was pretty interesting. I just, in general, I love the fact that Sinjir is an ex-Imperial loyalty officer amazing character and we get to see a lot mm-hmm. more of him in the, in the future books okay and yeah it's a very it's a very interesting position because it's one where you never really think about it being in the empire but it makes a, a lot of sense to have that position exactly exactly mm-hmm. um now thinking about some other characters uh temin wexley the little boy that's in this mm-hmm. uh i don't know if you guys know this i'm not sure if the listeners know this either but he is actually a character in force awakens Wexley. He's part of the resistance, and he is Snap Wexley. He's a bigger, really? he's a bigger oh. pilot. That's him. Really? So yeah, he's part of uh, Black Snap. Squadron. Part uh, of wow. yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. recognize the Wexley, but like, yep, that's that, him. He's Snap. So what made the change to Snap? Yeah. Uh. So his nickname is Snap because I don't know if you remember this scene in the beginning of the book, but when he's talking to the guy that comes into his shop oh, yeah. he does the oh yeah oh, he, the, the he signal snaps. he snaps yeah and then okay. he that's how you kind of remember like he's kind of playing off of it yeah that he said he learned from his dad yeah, yeah. exactly so that's snap wexley how crazy is that so see that now i'm good. annoyed what? See, why what? he that's never did it because he because never he could have solved so many situations if he Wait. just mind read all those people around him I'm sorry. That was a really bad joke for heroes. Yeah, because I don't know what the you guy mean. who plays Snap Wexley originally yeah. Uh, yeah. one of his big breakout roles was well, he played a yeah was he played a guy in a cop in Heroes who could read minds. Oh really? That's great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's all so situations if he just read their minds. That's funny. <laughs> but do you like do you like that connection though? Tem and Wexley from yeah, this awesome. into the Force Awakens because this was introduced before Force Awakens was out. Right, yeah. so you got to remember this is the lead up, and people that don't kind of catch onto that last name might not figure that out, right? So this is something that they don't call him Snap Wexley in this, and they don't, I don't think for the next, they don't introduce that until Force Awakens. Um, They've never called him Tenet in Force Awakens. Oh, I mean, I've only seen it like twice. Yeah, they just call him Snap, and I think they say Wexley maybe once or twice. Mm. Um, but we do get to see him in the Poe Dameron comics eventually too. So you see him a lot. I love yeah. that run. So I'm yeah. looking forward. To it really, it really breaks his character out of what we get to see in the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. Or well, he's not even in, he's not even in the Last Jedi. Sorry. Whole lot of nothing. So um, a few other things. Kashyyyk. Um, there was an interlude with Han and Chewie, and yep. they're doing a run kind of like what Wedge was doing for the uh, New Republic, just doing a little bit of reconnaissance and stuff. And uh, he gets called by someone from his past, like a connection for like some underground connection, smuggling connection. 
and she tells mm-hmm. him about Kashyyyk and this job and he's like I'm not doing these jobs anymore and she brings up oh it's from Kashyyyk and she tells him that the actual um, the imperial presence on Kashyyyk is still strong but normally when they switch duties the Star Destroyer goes out of orbit and another one comes in immediately after and they replace mm-hmm. stormtroopers that way but this time there's going to be a few days in between the um, differences between uh, when they leave and when they come back because of what's happening above Akiva, I believe. So that's a really interesting con- connection. And so Han and Chewie divert their attention over to Kashyyyk. And he tells her... Rebellion. Yeah, and he tells her that uh, make sure that you can get everybody that owes me a favor. Make sure that you get anybody who hates the Empire that's a smuggler, a slicer, whatever you get to meet us at Kashyyyk because we're going to take it back. So that's where they're they're headed, which I thought was a really cool little interlude. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much leads to why in all like the in the legends stuff and just in general, like they've mentioned it in a few in the new canon as well, but like how like Han Solo is loved by the Wookiees basically. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he came through and it's just like, No, I'm gonna help save you guys all. And not it's more so the help free you, not I'm going to free you kind of thing. Mm, exactly. Which is huge. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything, but that does come back in a later part of canon that we haven't gotten oh, to yet. Okay. Um, as long as it's not anything with Chewbacca in the Dark Forest. No, 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 no. <laughs> that book Excuse we you, will eventually get to. Forest of Fear. Yes, oh, oh, Forest oh, of Fear. Sorry. That's right. I'm sorry. I thought this was Star Wars. This is get it Star right. Wars? These are important children's books. <laughs> yes, they are because the Emperor's very formative. In... Spoiler yeah. for that book: the Emperor is mentioned in there, and apparently, um, people in the common thing know that he apparently is a Sith Lord. Who knows? Oh, oh no! Oh, really? I don't know. I don't know. I, it was young. kind of implied, but anyway. Um, the last thing I want to talk about here is another interlude that takes place on Tatooine with a mining mm. person who is trying to buy some goods off of some Jawas. And yeah. some guy helps him, a sheriff guy kind of helps him get onto the back of uh, the back side of the uh, Jawa transport, the sand crawler. That's where all the, like, the good stuff is for like purchase and stuff. But you have to have a rapport with the Jawas. But yeah. they get in there. The guy's looking around and he finds a cr- like a crate and opens it up. And there is a set of acid-stained Mandalorian armor. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but as soon as this was said, you're thinking, Tatooine. After episode six, Mandalorian armor, acid. Okay, yeah. so you have Tatooine. Who could it be? You have Boba Fett, I who was on Tatooine at the end of episode uh, six, or beginning of episode six, I guess. He got hit into the Sarlacc pit. Sarlacc pit digests things over a thousand years with acid. Then the armor comes out of that, and the armor is then taken up by the Jawas, scavenged, and now it is on this transport, which means his body is out of the Sarlacc pit. It has to be, unless somehow the Sarlacc excreted the armor or coughed the armor up after digesting. Oh, Dan, it. I'm Man. about to ruin your day. You go, go um, for it. So when Boba's Boba alive. Was, Boba's alive. When, when he was a kid on Tatooine, uh, there was this other very famous bounty hunter. Noma, I think you know who I'm going towards here. His name was mm-hmm. Dirge. Oh yeah, and he was yeah. if if you think Boba's the big bad, which he was, he's the big badass. Mm-hmm. But um, Dirge was a walking, he's walking death in, in monster form. I know Dirge. Mm-hmm. He's from the Clone yeah. Wars a- animated series, like the the first cartoon. Oh one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was in that. Yeah, he's and not Mandalorian he... though, is he? Yeah, 
Bounty Hunter, Mandalorian. I'm not. I don't remember the details. No, he wasn't. So he, he Dur, Durge is the opposite of a Mandalorian. He was a Mandalorian hunter. There you go. Oh, specifically. Yeah, yeah he had a. There's a whole thing in his backstory where basically because he's functionally immortal because he keeps regenerating. Yeah, it's um, from the old Republic era. Yeah, yeah, and and because of that, there was a huge stint in time where he was captured and tortured by the mandalorians tortured by the mandalorians um, okay. so when he, yeah and, and like kind of tested on like they they try and figure out a uh, new weapon testing with him and he eventually gets out and then when he gets out he goes on a rampage through mandalore um but yeah that's a whole other that that's also technically legends i think so i'm not 100 percent sure if that's so I, still... hate to, I hate to ruin your parade ed but he is <laughs> no, not but... mandalorian <laughs> but boba may have I been killed saying, by dirge who knows he... Something could have happened. He may have scoured some armor for when he left, and it would just happen to be acid stain from other Mandalorians trying to attack him. I would say that the, the evidence proposed here, the implication <laughs> is that Boba is either alive or his body is somehow disintegrated. It would have would not have been from the um, the Sarlacc because it digests things very slowly over years. And if the armor hasn't been digested, I'm assuming the person underneath the armor wasn't digested. So yeah, there Boba, were soft bits to that claw. Maybe, but I, either Boba was, uh, he ditched the gear and he's trying to live somehow or not. Who knows? But mm -hmm. I'm in the hopes of my favorite character must be alive, um, <clears throat> mindset. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much the last point. I I do want to quickly talk about Nora Wexley as she's a common character. Like most of the main characters in this book carry over to the next one. Um, mm. but Nora, I, I didn't mind her character in this one. She was a mother and I think she played to the key of a mother. Like as Ed, sorry, as Noma put it in the last review of Lost Stars, characters mm. that kind of step out of the realm of being that character and the, the things that they should do and should think and should behave like, she mm. does that to a T in my mind. Um, mm. most of these characters do, especially Sinjir and, and Tamin, I would say as well. Like he's a, he's a scared little teenage boy, you know? He just he doesn't mm. know that the Imperials are going to do that to him, but who knows? But in my mind, all the characters did a very good job at keeping into their own uh, behavior, right? They did their own things that, that that made you believe these characters are actually, you know, well thought out characters. Yeah, like I, I remember before we did our our Temple Archives episode on Lost Stars, I was saying. Uh, to Dan that I didn't like uh, Sienna and you said or and Dan said if that's the case you're not gonna like Nora either um, but I do actually like Nora a lot because like Dan said she sticks to character a lot I, I very much um, understand her internal conflict going on where it's like I, I there's a child that I neglected and need to now make up for yeah but also the galaxy's on fire and I know yeah. I can help with that um and it's like no that's that's a great that's a great um compromise person. yeah exactly to go through and those, I, I can relate to all of her internal struggles the only character who slips a little bit is sloan because like i was saying you know be nice to the civilians because being mean to them is what got us into this mess by the way pitch the kid off the roof into the crowd <laughs> yeah that i'm not too sure that's the one thing i didn't yeah. understand about sloan like it was interesting I don't think yeah. she understood it either at this point. Yeah, who knows? 
and and that's and that's a good point Ed, because at that point it's like full panic oh god what's happening i don't know what to do i need to survive so i could see that being a reason why sloan was like i need to protect the i need to protect these civilians kill the kid (laughs) because like the civilians are one thing and you want to make sure that they're happy with you but then you have your own staff who's like well what we can't do anything anymore why are you in charge again yeah exactly kind of thing so trying to trying to please the best of both sides and it's like it's just gonna run you into chaos which it kind of did so pick your battles where you can at that point i think is where she was coming from for that so still still bottom line no one's as bad as sienna yeah (laughs) yeah no one has no one's tweeted at us yet or i guess one person tweeted at us about sienna but uh no one has changed your mind on sienna or mine yeah all right so let's talk about our ratings for this one Oh, actually, a uh, real quick thing that I just realized when you guys were talking, uh, talking about throwbacks, um, is the fact that I was kind of waiting the entire time during the book where I was like, oh, it's Sloan. I wonder if they'll, they'll bring up New Dawn. And then they do bring up New Dawn because there is one point where uh, Sloan talks about her motto, um, which oh, is, yeah, I can't, I, yeah, yeah I, I can't remember it, but it was like, it was like, dump the past or ignore the past or, uh, like, we need to move on from the past. past yeah, like that. exactly. Don't don't focus on the past. Focus on the future. And yeah, it's the Vidian, the Count Vidian line. Um, and the only reason that I was like, oh yeah, that's really cool, is because as much as I love Mark Thompson and he does such a good job um, with these books, he does reuse his voice with a lot of characters. And Pandion and Vidian have the exact same voice. They do have a similar voice. Is it? Fabian yeah. had a little bit of a uh, after effects on his voice to make it sound a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, he had the whole mask thing ele- on. Yeah, he Apparatus. was partially, mostly machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, you're right there. There you go. Yeah, but I thought that was really cool. All right. Um, yeah, let's do our ratings and see see what we got. Ed, what was your All rating right. for Aftermath? Aftermath, I am giving 6.5. All right. No more, but again, you... oh, yeah, go ahead. just that justified by the fact that if I had read this before seeing episode seven and maybe it might have gotten a point higher or so or half a point higher or so, but I already went into it as kind of a not the best kind of outlook to it. Mm. So I tried not to read into it too much or get into it too much. It was for the sake of, okay, know the story and read this, but that just knowing where it leads to is just like, ugh, okay, yeah, and what are you doing? There's the Han Solo stuff that brought me back on, and that was an interlude. So, yeah, not true. not a five, mm. but a six point five for me because I okay. wanted, I do want to see what happens with that at the very least. Noma, how about you? Uh, my rating for this is a seven. Hey, um, yeah, there 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 were a lot of I I didn't really talk about them that that much in this discussion, but there were a couple of little things plot-wise that kind of annoyed me with this book. They were all kind of minor things. Like, by the time I was about halfway through the read, I was thinking to myself, this book could be called Everyone Gets Knocked Out, the book. Yeah, they always <laughs> knock like, out people. Uh, yeah, everybody. And there nobody were couple, dies. Yeah, nobody dies, the book. Like, there were, there were a couple times where people get knocked out, and I was like, really? Like, there's the part where Sinjir is in the shootout with... Um, Oh, I can't remember the guy's name already. That's not great. The Celestian Gangster. Yeah. Um, Su- Su- Sulan? Um, no, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about, though. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Either. Um, 
whatever I, I won't waste time on that but he, he's he's in the middle of that fight and he dives over a bar table and then the bartender gets the drop on him and i was like he, he, if he, he had, if he hadn't done anything around that bar table or around that bar i'd be like yeah no of course he didn't see the bartender coming but i'm like dude you were getting drinks from him like five minutes ago yeah how have you forgotten he's there exactly you are an imperial you went through combat training right or did you that's true maybe not uh as a as a officer um but yeah little things like that and little character slips but it's still like ed said i'm i'm excited to read the next book i want to see where it goes um and overall it was pretty solid so i'm, nice. I'm fairly happy with it um uh, for me i i gave it a 6.5 as well uh only because nope. i know what happens in the next few books and i thought when i when i listened to this book again I thought more of the stuff that happens in the other books happens in this book. I thought they got off world a lot faster than what they did. Um, mm. But uh, the next few books are a lot better, I find. So I'm giving this one a little bit of breathing room. I really enjoyed the book, but I'm going to give it a 6.5 uh, just because there's a lot more character development and a lot better story points and stuff in the next few books. So it's a comparison rating that I'm giving it, which is not fair to you guys because you guys don't really understand what happens in the next ones yet. Um, but for, for like my from, personal rating, yeah, I would say 6.5 mm -hmm. is probably the, the one. Like from the sounds of it, it sounds like, you know what? This is like it's seasons a good intro. one and two yes. of Clone Wars. It's a good and intro to the characters. When we start, yeah, we start getting into the other ones and it's like, okay, here's the real story. Exactly. Like, oh, man. Exactly. Yeah, I would, I would. that's exactly how I would uh, say this. Is it season one of Aftermath? And it gets so much better in season two and three. So nice. Yeah. Also, I just realized is this the first time that I've actually had the highest score amongst all of us? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> My <It's> fantastic. <laughs> Who would have thought that Ed and Noma or Ed and Dan had a six point five and Noma had a seven? Oh my goodness. Oof. Who would have thought I would be the most optimistic about anything? Exactly. I, I, yeah, I, about I knew anything. you guys would enjoy these books. And a 6.5 is not a bad score. I would highly recommend this book to somebody. Um, mm -hmm. Especially if they just want a fun, original character adventure in Star like, Wars. Because we have like people no, we gave... never met these characters before. They're all brand exactly. new characters. Except for Sloan. People gave uh, Lost Stars a pretty low ranking overall and like different reviews and stuff like that. But it's one that I would read again. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. So it's like you do you do have to find what you do like about the Star Wars books. Like I, we appreciate you guys listening to this and everything too. But if you did like Aftermath and you heavily enjoyed us, let us know some reasons why about you did. Yeah, if you and, agree with and, any of it, or you have a different favorite character, or there's a point that you didn't really like that we didn't mention, let us know. Uh, at the end of the podcast, we'll tell you about when or how to send us feedback at Twitter, Facebook, and email, and all that. So just listen in either the beginning of the podcast or the end of the podcast, and you can figure out when to do that or how to do that. All right, and with that, we will wrap up our discussion for Star Wars Aftermath Part 1. So now let's head into Darth Vader Volume 2, Shadows and Secrets. <laughs> Darth Vader, Volume 2, Shadows and Secrets. Written by Kieran Gillen. Penciler is Salvador LaRocca. And cover artist is Adi Granov. The cover itself is uh, pretty cool. It's got the whole gang together. So that's Afra, Vader, 
triple zero and BT one uh, being attacked by a hail of blaster bolts, which Vader is deflecting one of them. And uh, yeah, it's just a nice kind of action piece, kind of nice generic action uh, set piece that kind of sets up the uh, book itself quite nicely. Yeah, I do like the touch with BT one and triple zero in the background. Mm. that's really funny just like triple zero's like c-3po kind of position was like oh no but you can probably tell he's like kill them all yeah and then uh, bt1's got his blaster out the side of his head unit Mm -hmm. there that's that's pretty fun oh yeah so this comic begins with the opening crawl disorder engulfs the galaxy after the destruction of the death star by a mysterious force strong rebel pilot the sith lord darth vader was deemed responsible by his master, Emperor Palpatine. Now pursuing his own agenda, the pilot's identity, Vader recruited bounty hunter Boba Fett and archaeologist Dr. Aphra. Pitted by the Emperor against a new array of rivals for his, for his position in the Empire, Vader's rage at being doubted was compounded by an even more shocking revelation. The rebel pilot he sought was actually the son he never he'd had. Now, alongside Aphra, the Sith Lord returns to his home planet of Tatooine, to the former homestead of the pilot, following a trail left behind by Boba Fett and the young Skywalker. The story opens with Dr. Afra, Triple Zero, BT-1, and Darth Vader at the Lars homestead. Vader and Afra remark on how Luke's journey began with revenge before moving on to Ben Kenobi's house in the Dune Sea. Vader inspects the home and senses Luke and Boba Fett's duel. Vader mocks Obi-Wan for not training Luke in the 20 years he had and calls him a failure before Aphra deploys a molecular bomb and erases the home. The two groups then part ways, with Vader saying he will contact Aphra later. The scene shifts to Santul in the Outer Rim, where Vader sets an ambush for a Rodian crime lord in his den. Slaughtering everyone present, Vader finds a vault filled with credits and claims them for the Empire as contraband. Afterwards, he he discusses his ambush with the local Hut crime lords and tells the Huts that the Empire will not divulge the path the contraband will take so that it it cannot be ambushed. At a nearby cantina, Dr. Aphra gathers Bosk, IG-90, Bebox, and Black Kersantin and offers a job to them. She knows the route that the contraband ship is taking and how to overcome its security and needs them as a team to complete the robbery. Excuse the interruption. As I was saying, Bounty Hunter, I have need of your services. Issue number eight. The issue opens with an Architens-class frigate in the Anthen Prime system. Aphra detonates a giant asteroid to create an impromptu asteroid field that the Architens struggles to avoid, slamming into multiple asteroids in the process. Aphra's team uses this opportunity to sneak into the ship and disable the droids guarding the vault. Once in, Black Kersantin uses his own ship to slam an asteroid into the Architen's vault and spill its contents into space, where BT-1 generates a magnetic field to scoop up as much as Santul's credit hoard as he can. Back on Aphra's ship, the bounty hunters inspect their hull, Though they have lost most of the credits to the Void, they still receive a massive payout. However, after the Hunters take their leave, Aphra goes to one of Anthen Prime's moons, Anthen 13. There it is discovered that Black Kersantin and Aphra used a hidden satellite to recover all the credits that had spilled out into space, 
and for his part, Kersantin takes five times what he'd made before. After Kersantin leaves, Vader arrives, and Aphra remarks that they have a droid factory, bounty hunters, and a massive amount of hidden credits. Vader says little, but gives Aphra an unknown new mission before departing. The scene shifts to Grand General Tag's Star Destroyer. There, the General talks about a group of rebels named the Plasma Devils, who are wreaking havoc in the system. Tag assembles the Force-sensitive Astarte twins to hunt the Devils down, which angers the rest of Palpatine's apprentices. Tag then assigns General Carbon to hunt down the pilot who destroyed the Death Star, which Vader and Tulon object to, though both are ignored. Tag assigns Vader to find out who stole the massive amount of credits from the Sontul Architens. He is assigned a new ad adjutant, Inspector Thanoth, who believes they should begin their search on Anthem 14. He also shows himself as much more competent than Vader's previous adjutant, and has already realized Vader has been on Anthan 13, which catches the Dark Lord off guard and leaves him contemplating his next moves. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director. Issue number nine. The issue begins on Anthan 13, where a group of rebels is looking into a, re a reported sighting of Vader. Entering a cave, they find the Sith Lord waiting for them. Over Anthan Prime, Inspector Thanoth contacts Vader and tells him his theory that a group of smugglers used an artificial meteor storm to ambush the Architens and make off with its treasure. Knowing Vader was on Anthan Prime when the credits were originally claimed, Thanoth asks what brought him to Anthan 13 when they first met. Vader states he pursued and destroyed a rebel cell explaining why he lured the rebels there earlier to cover his tracks. Vader and Thanoth meet under Anthan Prime, where the inspector tells Vader they will meet an arms dealer named The Dragon, who he believes sold the explosives to the smuggler. In order to find him, they are searching for one of his dealers. However, when they arrive, they find the Astarte twins slaughtering their way through the underworld in an attempt to find information on the Plasma Devils. In the chaos, Vader and Thanoth find the dragon's dealer, who eventually points them to the dragon's location. Thanoth attempts to let the twins interrogate the dealer for information. However, the twins kill the dealer in order to enforce the Empire's will through fear, which infuriates Thanoth for their clumsy, heavy-handed tactics. As they depart, Vader and Thanoth speak about how they are trying to discern each other's motivations. The issue switches to Dr. Afra who is visiting Anthan Prime to meet a given information broker named The Ante. She asks The Ante to look up a man named Commodex Than, and The Given is surprised to learn the man is a former Republic military clerk who took over his father's business. Afra is satisfied and pays The Ante before departing. As she leaves, Triple Zero and BT-1 are surprised the information was so dull, but Afra reveals that the Than's family business was morticians on Naboo. Issue number 10. The issue starts on Anthan Prime, at the arms dealer, the Dragon's Mansion. Vader finds the Dragon alone and asks if he will reveal who sold the explosives to the Santul smugglers. When the Dragon agrees, Vader kills him to keep his secret hidden. Thanoth arrives and is annoyed by the Dragon's death, but is able to use his impressive intellect to find and break into the Dragon's record vault, which impresses and concerns Vader, who attempts to try and outwit the Inspector. 
Switching to Naboo, Commodex Than's mansion is attacked by Dr. Dr. Afra and Vader's droid army. Than attempts to defend himself, but BT-1 appears and disarms the man, while Afra tells the droid army to make their attack look like a robbery. Afra then tells Than that they need his memories of preparing Padme Amidala's body for her funeral, but Than refuses, stating he will not betray her memory or his idyllic sense of her. Afra explains idealism is overrated and goes over her past, where her mother, who had a similarly idyllic nature, was killed by raiders during the Clone Wars, as well as her slight denial over the events. Eventually, Afra and Thon finish their conversation, and after the man once again refuses to speak to about Padme, Afra lets Triple Zero interrogate Thon. After a brutal interrogation, Afra asks Thon to verify that Padme gave birth to a son before her death, which Thon confirms, though does not say that Leia was born as well. Triple Zero kills Thon, and the group burns down his mansion, with Afra surprised that a Naboo heir exists. Returning to Anthan Prime, Dr. Afra relays the information to Vader, who is silent for a while, before stating that they need to track down the pilot who destroyed the Death Star. Afra suggests the ante, and Vader agrees before telling her of his new adjutant. Though Afra is concerned, Vader states they will be fine, as Thanoth suspects nothing. However, Vader and Afra fail to notice a tiny probe droid monitoring them from the distance. What is that? It looks like a probe droid? Issue number 11. On Anthan Prime, in the Ante's Lair, Dr. Afra arrives to discuss the Death Star pilot's identity. However, at the same time, Thanoth has discovered the Ante, and he and Vader assemble a strike team to assault it. Though Vader feigns nonchalance, it is clear he is unnerved by Thanoth's skill at finding the Ante so quickly. Afra and the Ante discuss the location of Luke Skywalker, whose location is being sought out by many parties and thus has increased the cost of the information. Afra pays the huge fee and learns that Skywalker is on Vrogas Voss. However, moments later, the lair is attacked by Imperial forces. Vader and Thanoth find the Ante, who offers them the Plasma Devil's location. However, Thanoth wants the Sontul smugglers, so the Ante points to where Afra is attempting to flee. Before he can say more, Vader discreetly uses the Force to redirect a blaster, which shoots and kills the Ante. Thanoth is disappointed, but commands the Imperial forces to capture Afra. Afra escapes the Imperials, but is cornered by Vader, who attempts to force Choker to tie up loose ends. However, he relents when Afra says she knows where Luke is, and Vader allows her to escape while making it look like she prepared a trap to bury him under rubble. While Afra manages to make it to the Archangel and departs, Thanoth meets up with Vader and reveals that he has set up a blockade to stop Afra from escaping. Sir, a second rebel ship is attacking our flank. Let the fighters deal with it. Keep your focus on capturing the command ship. Issue number 12. Aboard an Architan's frigate, Thanoth and Vader watch the Imperial blockade attempt to capture Afra, who is flying through an electrical storm to evade them. Vader remarks that their efforts are a waste. They have a strike force and the location of the Plasma Devils from the Ante, but are chasing a single ship. Thanoth agrees and offers to call off the chase if they can destroy the Plasma Devils before the Rebels decide to move locations. With the two in agreement, Vader lands at the Plasma Devils' eastern entrance while Thanoth deploys the strike force to the western entrance and the two begin their attack. The scene shifts to General Tag's Star Destroyer, 
where Vader and Thenoth present the Plasma Devil's helmets, which humiliates and angers the Astarte twins. Thanoth reprimands their clumsy ways, and Tag states that though the Plasma Devils are destroyed, they will likely never find the Sun Tool smugglers. Vader takes the blame for their chain plans, and Tag congratulates Vader and the Inspector, saying they made the correct choice. Afterwards, Thanoth thanks Vader for taking the onus on their decision, surprised he stood up for him, though it is unclear if the two's relationship has improved. Later, Vader meets with Aphra, who gives him Luke Skywalker's location. Vader is surprised Aphra didn't attempt to hide from him after their last encounter, but Aphra states the Dark Lord would hunt her down if she did. Vader agrees, but states that he is impressed with her loyalty and talents. Vader departs, but is being watched by one of Palpatine's apprentices, General Carbon, who plans to follow Vader and kill Luke himself. Alright, and that was the summary for Darth Vader, Volume 2. So, what did you guys think about this? Uh, Dan, let's start with you. Yeah, um, I enjoyed this volume. It was kind of a, it's almost an interlude in itself, um, coming up to the next uh, volume of Vader. But um, there's a few things that I really did enjoy about this, bringing like Bosk back and some other bounty hunters, introducing IG-90, which was an interesting mm-hmm. choice, a red IG unit. I'm not sure if he has H- any... A-47-2, Yeah, Boogaloo. exactly. I'm not sure <laughs> if he had any affiliation to IG-88, or he's just another... Like if he had some sort of like communication with him, like is, do they share the same uh, programming, all that kind of stuff, or are they just two separate IG droids? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few things that I did not like so much. Most of it with General Tag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody. Likes I just that. I just don't I'm like his character. So anything that with him in it, I'm just like yeah 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 skip 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 go over this yeah yeah. Mm. Um, We're not supposed to like him. <laughs> would you get introduced back to, uh, reintroduced to the um, characters that we got introduced to the end of Vader 1, which was the uh, General Carbon, uh, the... Science lady? That? No, she, it's the guy that's like General Grievous, but with the Mon Cala head. Um, oh, yeah, isn't yeah. he Mon Cala? Yeah, that's, I couldn't think of the race for some reason. So Mon Cala, oh, okay. we get introduced to the Mon Cala General Carbon, which is great. We also get introduced back to the two twins and the girl who has all like the little drone things that she can see through all the little drones. Mm-hmm. Um, and we basically spend the entirety of it just following Vader, trying to get money to use to use for his own means. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, there was not a lot of things that really stood out to me, apart from characters that we get introduced to that are just like side characters, like Bosk and IG-90 and uh, Black Chris Chrysanthemum and um dr afra and the droids bt and whatnot we get to see the torturing of a a morgue mortician mortician we get to see the interrogation of a mortician on naboo who was the mortician for uh padme amidala to get confirmation Mm. about uh vader's son that was born but we do know as readers that there was one thing he left out in that there were yeah. twins because twins. she also had a daughter and all they wanted to hear was that she had son. a son and then they killed him so that secret of the daughter being born leia is is lost right mm. so um yeah it's it's an interesting little comic series there's a lot of violence a lot of killing vader killing <laughs> people before they can say something he's like will you mm. talk yes i'll tell you anything unfortunate and it just yeah. kills him yeah or like twists a little bit and the blaster just like he just force 
moves someone's hand and then the blaster hits the guy and they they fall mm. over we do get introduced to a character that's the same race the fall or is it the not the fallen that's that's the destiny given the given yeah, given uh yeah. we get introduced from to them. uh heir to the jedi right yes uh yeah. yeah so we get introduced to another one of those who's also like a really smart person so that also kind of plays into that character trait or that species mm-hmm. trait i guess of them being like math oriented and very smart it's kind of an information no, dealer of sorts um Mune would get along great with them yeah right yeah <laughs> um and I, I think that's all the points i have unless something comes up when you guys are talking that's pretty much all i really have to say okay um yeah there, there were there was i will say as a as a very small counterpoint to dan that during uh tag speech there was one thing he did that i thought was smart um where he's talking about uh one of the missions that he has is that he sends uh, Carbon to go hunt down Luke. He goes. He sends him to hunt down the pilot who destroyed oh, the yes. Death Star. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And Vader goes, "No, that's my that's, personal I'm, mission. I'm doing that." Yeah. And then I can't remember the scientist lady's name, uh, whichever apprentice or the drone apprentice. And she goes, "No, it should be me." There were a lot of people, including smart scientists and valuable people, who died on on the Death Star. I need. And Tag goes, no, you guys are both way too personally invested in this. Exactly. You're you're gonna make mistakes. I'm sending the person who doesn't care. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. But then he also is just like But then he does a bunch of other things just to spite Vader, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, so you're still not a good general. You had one good decision. So eh. I guess he's slowly learning. Yeah, it's funny how the the, the other characters that Vader is kind of put pit against for like mm-hmm. favor with the Emperor. Their names are very, very hard to remember. Um, I just remember them as the twins, General Carbon, and then what's that character from uh, Overwatch that has like the drones? I can't remember her name, but she reminds me of her. Oh, Symmetra. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she has like the things that you can put up, and then they like attack people. That's kind of what she looks like. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how I remember all of them. But mm. yeah, they're not very memorable in the name aspect. More of the like book of them i guess is more memorable mm-hmm. and then uh yeah speaking of looks there was uh there's one page that i thought was kind of cool where in issue eight i think um oh actually it says here nine so it might be nine um in issue nine there's a part where they show uh the orbital dockyard anthem prime and uh when you see anthem prime for the first time there's a Venator. Uh, there's a Venator-class Star Destroyer in the foreground. Oh, yeah. And I was just... Yeah, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, right? It's the, it's the... That they still have them. Mm-hmm. And, they, yeah, they do talk about how, like, they use Venators and, and Acclimators as outer rim uh, ships to kind of bulk up the Star Destroyer potential. Exactly. And they also talk about the money that was being stolen here was used for uh, a... Super Star Destroyer that Tag has already purchased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was funny. <laughs> like, oh, so just a bit credit. important. And they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know General Tag and his and his obsession over Super Star Destroyers. And you're like, mm-hmm. nope, but I do now. <laughs> and uh, outside of that, it's, it's interesting to see Vader's planning on a couple of different points. Like uh, when, he, when he's being pit against his advisor... And so to make sure that he's got an alibi, he lures a rebel patrol yeah. to a planet to be like, oh, yeah, I killed these guys days ago. 
Anthem you can 13. You come see the bodies if you want. Yeah, he's yeah. like, go take a look. And he's like, you didn't report that. He's like, I didn't yeah. think killing rebels was worth reporting. He's like, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah his name is uh, General Thanoth or something like that. Inspector Thanoth. Oh, Inspector yeah, that... Thanoth. Yeah, I have yeah. things to say about him. All right, Ed. Is there? Sorry, Norma, is there anything else you wanted to no, say? No, keep going. I mean, I, I've got some, some points on Thanoth, but I, I want to hear Ed's take first. Sure, and then go I'll, ahead. I'll supplement that. All right. So you know what? Yeah, might as well segue right into him then. Hey, hey, hey. But yeah, Thanoth himself, I found him especially be for, well, and this is the issue or I guess the um, the volume that we see him and we see his beginning and end kind of thing. But um, for me, he was a really interesting character because you see like things like, oh, Vader trying to mislead him and stuff like that. And he kind of plays along. But the guy ain't stupid. Like mm-hmm. he's he's become inspector. Like I I looked at him as like a Sherlock Holmes type for a lot of it, just because he was picking up things like crazy. And it was like, oh, do you see the way this landed here and this? And because you were in this time zone from this and this and this, that means this. And I, it instantly reminded me of the Netflix, uh, the the Cumberbatch uh, Sherlock Holmes. Like, yeah, you had uh, okay. this particular ketchup so you had breakfast at this place and you stayed here uh so it was like oh dude what you can figure all this out and the fact that he figures out everything behind vader yeah when he's just like you know what i know who you are i know who you're looking for i know why you did all this stuff but you know what i'm not gonna report you because i actually support what you're doing and i think the emperor is weak especially after like the first death star and everything like that and his mm-hmm. power is failing he's like you do a better job so yeah and i don't yeah i could think... i could put my finger Sorry. on it but you're right, mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes is definitely the analogy to go with there. He's so mm-hmm. much a Sherlock Holmes in the Star Wars universe. I like what? Even the first time reading this, I, I knew there was something familiar about him. But you're right, Sherlock Holmes and knowing how everything kind of plays out just by looking like at a scenario. Exactly, like he's seeing the entire storyboard with it and he's just kind of like going along for, if not the fun of it, just to see what more of what Vader is like. Exactly. To justify his, like, should I really, should I report him, should I not, kind of thing. Like, his own struggle that he's going through. Um, mm. But, yeah, for Th- Thanos, for me, like, even as, like, Vader's putting the blade through him, is kind of just like, yep, all right. Like, this could have only ended one way, but if this continues, all the best, man. Hope you mm. win, kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't think Thanos going to survive much longer. <laughs> it's, uh, one of the big parts of this volume for me was the fact that after all the jokes on the internet, after everything, after all the memes and all of that, oh, I'm never going to go back to Tatooine. Even everybody in Star Wars explained, like, yeah, Vader can't go back to Tatooine. He can't because it's like, remember, he does. where'd you go? Oh, I'm going to Tatooine to look into things like Quick Light. And he even mentions, like, Ben, you're smart to bring the boy here because you know yeah. this is the one place I would never return. <laughs> I would never come back. Yeah, the fact yep. that he admits it, too, is like, yeah, no, I would never come here. Like, that, that was a great little touch. Um, but going back just for a second, yeah, uh, I agree with like everything that Ed said. Thanoth was a very, or is a very interesting character. Um, and one of the things that I enjoyed most, I think he was, he was probably my favorite character in this book is you see how he, he starts, he, the same as, uh, the last assistant Unai, he starts against Vader and then slowly kind of comes to his side when he realizes that the twins are just like vader understands the subtleties of you know spy work versus imperial justice yeah they were yeah. just like uh, going out and killing everybody because they just wanted to they prove were just themselves. Hotheads. Yeah. yeah yeah 
Yeah, and he says like, "Oh, they're children. They don't even they don't even understand what we're trying to do." And Vader's like, "Yeah, no, I agree." And so you get to this point where I was like, "Oh, now they're on the same side." Ha, tag, your plan backfired. But then you see the fact that he's still figuring all this stuff out. Exactly. And going behind Vader's back and being like, "Oh, I guess they are again." And it's it, it reminds me of in a way Death Note yeah. where it's like I can see these two characters competing but I can't really tell what steps they're taking and that makes it really interesting for me. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know... It's, there's intrigue. Yeah, yeah and, and Vader uses things that he knows Thanos doesn't have an understanding of so he uses the forces as crutch to, you know, kill people that could, uh, you know, blab on him and then, but then Tag's using his, his real-life intelligence or his, you know non-force intelligence to, to suss all this stuff out and so the whole time during the the novel i was like okay are, are they friends are they not friends yeah i was i was more in the the realm of he is tolerating vader at the moment but his mission mm -hmm. is still his mission where it's he's got to basically inform tag on vader right so mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's still a piece of of uh thanoth that's he's he's liking vader but at the same time he, there's something here that he's not sure about and he thinks Vader mm -hmm. is still involved with it, right? Yeah, so. and, but but then I also like how you get the two. I guess and or I guess Vader's not an old man, but the two like older old men of the Empire, yeah. who basically are just like, all right, we can either catch one thief, or we can stick it to the whippersnappers. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> which right. one? Let's do you stick it to do? the whippersnappers. Yeah, let's yeah. go after the plasma devils. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Because mm. yeah, no, you're right. It was just it was it's just funny to be like Vader on the one side who yeah going with that grumpy old men kind of theme is just like why are you sticking me with a babysitter I don't need a babysitter yeah. and it's like why are you putting me with him don't you know what he does to everybody who works with him yeah, yeah. I like my job kind of thing and it's like oh, okay and it's like oh I can still like my job and kind of work with this guy oh this guy isn't really so much of a babysitter he's actually competent and he can help me mm. huh. So what did, you think of, what did you think of Afra, Ed? Okay, now Afra in this one. So <laughs> as the readers, we have the benefit of knowing that kind of Vader's still pulling her strings to a certain point. But um, to see the whole, like, I alluded to, like, Ocean's Eleven when I thought of it, when she's like, oh, we're going to do a thing, and we're going to rob the Empire, and it's going to be great. And her bounty hunter team, she gets all there. I'm seeing, like, Brad Pitt and George Clooney the entire time. <laughs> Or when they're just like, yeah, so here's how we do this and this and this. And they're all just like, well, I want this. And everybody knows they're going to get their cut, everything's like that. And it's just like, only only you realize this is like, um, you know, Vader's not actually going to let you guys keep any of this money, right? Yeah, they get like a small <laughs> section of it and all the rest gets lost into space yep. per se. And then you find out mm -hmm. later that there was like a magnetic thing that's just pulling all the credits into accident. it. Yeah, it was oh, so no. good. Like, that so was good. the best part of it. It's like, we're going to make it look like an accident and take everything. Yeah. That's right away when I was just like, yep, where, where, where is Frank Ocean? Or not Frank Ocean. Jesus, the musician. <laughs> where, <laughs> where is Ocean? And where did he give you all these skills to do this stuff, Afro? But that just adds the more of her skill set. This is where you start to like Dr. Afro a lot more, I think. I don't know about you, Nomo, but this is where mm -hmm. Afro starts to become a character. Where you're like, okay, I can understand her and her motivations. She right now she yeah. just wants to stay alive. Like that's her motivation, exactly. right? Mm. She do she doesn't really want to be working with Vader, but she's doing it because she knows if she stops, he's gonna kill her. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and uh, yeah, you you basically took the words out of my mouth because I was gonna say this is this is the volume where Afra became a likable character to me, 
Um, it redeemed her for that awful line in the first volume that basically oh, just disenfranchised her. Yeah. Oh god. I, I won't. I won't say it. If <laughs> listeners, if you don't remember what I'm talking about, I'm not gonna say it. Go back to listen to that episode of Temple yes, Archives. Going back to listen to Vader Volume One because I I hate that line. That's Temple but, Archives Two. Bad boys. Plug. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that her whole thing in this, it's she becomes much more of a practical character especially the, her whole conversation with Vader where she's like, I could send you a message and run. I'm pretty sure you're going to catch me, though. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just dead anyways. And Vader's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You were it's, correct. He's like, like, you understand. Yeah. You know your place, Do not basically. defy me. The only part that was a little bit jarring for me is that she gives her backstory to the mortician. That seemed a, a little bit gives, it's It's more like a inspect. Like, she knows he's going to die. Like, that's their final yeah. end goal. It was more for the reader, right, to understand her a little bit more. But like you're right, it's it's just exposition for the sake of having exposition. Yeah, for the sake of exposition. But I do enjoy the fact that you're taking a very tired, very kind of cliched story. You know, oh, my parents were killed by by bad people, um, and you at least put a spin. Like even if it's just the fact that her spin is denial. Um, intense denial where she's like, oh, no, I came back with a, with a cool blaster and I saved everyone and we all lived happily ever after. Obviously not, but... Yeah. And the guy's like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, didn't you hear? It was it was good. Why are you... Apologizing. You know, are you apologizing for it? And I was like, okay, that's that's interesting. It's it's It makes her more layered. It doesn't make her super deep or super layered, but I was like, oh, that's nice. I like the fact that this makes her a bit more unique. Exactly. Um, yeah, the, the only characters that don't develop in this story are triple zero and bt they still just like to kill murder like at least now we get one i'm pretty one cool sure line. they stay like this for pretty much the entirety of the series oh I'm, yeah I'm, they're 100 sure. kill death murder but they, they yeah. are programmed to do so they so they cannot they cannot change their thoughts even if they wanted to mm-hmm. they're great but they're not our two yeah exactly and i i will give um What's it called? Triple uh, Zero gets one line that I really enjoyed, where the mortician goes, "You're not going to get anything from me." He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah," and he goes, "Oh, you're just adorable. I love it when you play your part." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, he's very crazy. <laughs> yeah, I love it when BT was like on the outside of the ship and playing his part too in the Ocean's Eleven scheme. That yep. was pretty good. Yeah, and I, I will say is like there is one other scene I, I do like where. They do foreshadow when Triple Zero is like, oh no, I love to play hollow chess. He goes, like, basically, I was like, are you any good at it? And he goes, no, I'm terrible at it. I'm also a really sore loser. And I was like, oh, great. And then they go to the bar and play hollow chess and and he loses. And he goes, and the the, the firefight starts and he's, he's just like, oh. It's such a shame that that guy can't get his come up and BG just turns and blows the guy away. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yeah, okay. You already set this up. I can't complain. Like <laughs> there was a really good uh, line there too that he's like, "Yeah, when they when they made me, they had to take out some pieces of the like non-essential pro uh, protocol programming, which is like being good at like hollow chess and stuff like that, like just other yeah. other useless things to make room for all the sadistic crazy torture stuff that they've put into me." <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, are we are we good with uh, jumping into our ratings for this one? Yes, we are. I think so, yeah. All right, Ed, let's start you off since you are the Imperial Darth Vader fanboy. <laughs> and because I am, although I am, but this one, I I give an eight, not a nine. 
Um, just because we got more into character development, we saw we had some fun, but the dynamic between um, Thanath and Vader for me was the biggest part of this. And then everything else was kind of like a, oh, here you go. Here's a little bonus for you with the returning to Tatooine. Here's a little bonus with what's happening with Afra, And then the hype for everything that leads into the next part of all this stuff, which is one of my favorite arcs, even if it's just a kind of side thing. Oh, it's a beautiful side thing, though. Yes, it is. So with that, I eight, I feel, justifies how I feel about this one. And this is if I've fully enjoyed it fully ex- couldn't wait for the next bit and then i it's one i would reread it's a series i'd reread over and over and over again just because mm. fair enough uh noma you you next um so i'm with that on this i i give it an eight um partly because as i'm checking our ratings i put a 7.5 for vader or yeah. for Vader Volume 1, and I definitely enjoyed this more than Vader Volume 1. Fair enough. It, like I said, it redeems a character in my eyes. It brings in a character I really enjoy. L- like Ed said, a lot of nice callbacks, a lot of really nice kind of, you know, uh, Easter eggs for the fans. Um, not a blowout amazing. We'll, we'll wait until the next volume where I lose. Yep. All three of us just lose our minds. Yes. Yep. Uh, Oh, that like, and that that one is amazing. The crossover—it's—it's it's, it's a crossover event of the century. Better crossover. I'm gonna count than... just how many people are in that. Yeah, yeah, see, it's gonna that, be in good. that one scene. I'm gonna count just to be sure, just to prove a point. <laughs> oh, it, it it will be glorious. And but this is a very solid book, and I I can believe everything that every character does in it. So I'm very happy with it. Okay. I was uh, I was struggling to figure out what rating I wanted to give it. I thought six at first, and then I'm like six point five, and then after hearing you guys, seven maybe. It, it, it just there's nothing really that I really in, like was like oh my god I love this like this is really good. Um, so I think a seven is a good a good way to put it. Um, it's it's an like I said an interlude into the next thing that happens in Vader, and like we just said it's gonna be amazing. Um, Vader down is the next section. Of, mm-hmm. of Vader, so um, if you've heard of Vader Down, it's pretty much one of the best sections of, of Darth Vader in, in general um, in the comic series. So I would say giving this a seven, just because you do get a little bit more development with Afra, you do get some stuff with about Padme um, and and the Mortician and all that kind of stuff. The Ocean's Eleven thing was kind of fun. Just you had a little bit of everything. Um, but it does go down a lot just because General Tag's in this for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Shots to General Tag. No. Um, anything with General Tag, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, I'm done. Um, but we'll, we'll eventually get past that. But yeah, seven. So, so I take it from this that uh, Tag is your Sienna Re. <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. The only thing is Tag appears a lot more than Sienna does. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, Sienna doesn't ever appear again, as far as I remember, but uh. Tag does. <laughs> so, all right, um, I think we're ready to get into the outro. Yeah, right. I think that about wraps it up.
Welcome to the end of Temple Archives, Episode 6, Twin Sons. So, next episode, we're going to be doing something a little bit different with our novels. And Dan is going to walk you through what that is going to be. So, our three novels that we're covering next time, yep, you heard it, three novels. We're going to be covering some smaller ones. The audiobook versions are about three, just over three hours long. So this is about nine and a half to nine hours and 45 minutes of audio, which is a very small amount of content compared to the 12 mm. hours of audio we deal with with most books that we do. So we thought combining these three, since they were all released at the same time, would be a good option for us. In that Star Wars, The Weapon of a Jedi, Star Wars Moving Target, A Princess Leia Adventure, and Star Wars Smugglers Run, A Han Solo and Chewbacca Adventure. Now it's basically the Woo! three, yeah, the three main characters from the original trilogy, Luke, Han, and Leia, and Chewbacca, don't forget Chewbacca, and uh, we're going to be covering all three of those and diving into a little bit of depth in there, as well as for the comic, we're going to be doing uh, the comic series Chewbacca, just to stay in the same vein as uh, the original trilogy, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And Ed, do you want to tell the lovely listeners how to contact us? Absolutely. There are many ways you can contact us. Three to be exact right now, but if you prefer email, you can reach us at voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. So use Temple Archive 6 in the subject line so we can narrow you out and see what you have to say. And if you prefer using Twitter, you can find us with the handle at voiceforcepod. Retweeting our new episode tweets does help with growing our listener base, and it's very much appreciated. And that way we can directly communicate with you and maybe even feature you on the next temple archives if you prefer using facebook you can find us on our facebook page that is facebook.com forward slash voice force pod and there you can just comment directly on the temple archive six post and we'll be sure to get back to you on there and always remember guys listen rate and review on apple Podcasts, google play soundcloud stitcher spotify tune in Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Podbean. Click that subscribe button for the latest episode as soon as it releases so you can be right there with us with the new info or new stories that we have to tell you. And that will round out this episode. So, from all of us at Voice of the Force, thank you for listening to this episode of Temple Archives. And may the Force be with you. And uh, Dan is going to walk you through. Can you say Dan is going to walk you through again? Because you just cut out. Yeah. Oh, God damn. All right. No worries. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. You had it. And then it just fucking, it didn't, it didn't go. Uh, so, no worries. Three, two, one. So before we head out, we just want to remind you guys that all three of us will be attending Star Wars Celebration Chicago. That is from Thursday, April 11th until Monday, the 15th. And we are very excited to try and meet up with listeners and other podcasters. So if you find us, let us know you're a listener, and we'll give you some of the free stuff that we bring with us. Swag, Unless swag, we... swag. Exactly. Unless we run out, in which case we'll... That means all of you got something, so great. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, we're bringing a decent <laughs> amount, so we, we don't know if we're going to give it all away, but if we do, hey, that's going to be nice. Mm -hmm. We'll figure something out. But uh, we'll just throw it in the like we'll just throw it up in the air like like money, just like you get some and you get <laughs> yeah. some and you get some and you get some. Just 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 blow it all in the first five minutes. I need a t-shirt cannon, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
We don't have any t-shirts, but we're going to fire something out of this. I wonder how bad of a paper cut they can get when we fire our business cards at them. Oh, God, a pretty bad one, I'd say. One to last, one to be memorable. Oh, Yeah, exactly. Um, Ed, did you want to talk us out with the uh, how do people can contact us? I'm going to do that again. <laughs> I was just rambling there. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say. Oh, trust me. I know that feeling. Oh, yes. <laughs> and all right, Ed, do you want to tell them? Okay, let me try that again. I got it. I got it. This time. Third time's the charm. All right. all right. If you prefer using Twitter, you can reach us with the at voice force pod. And honestly, if you help with retweeting our new episodes or it helps with just listening. Ah, wow. Jesus Christ. You can do it, Ed. You can do it. Right. I know you haven't talked much this oh, podcast, no. but you the can do it. affected all of us. It has. <laughs> More alcohol. All right. <laughs> more, liquid, more liquid courage Mr. we'll we'll do an after after hours podcast one day definitely <laughs> oh that's no, you, when we do the meetup you know what we should do you know yeah uh, yeah the meetup <laughs> the meetup <laughs> would work that you know what we should do is drunk battlefront oh, oh my I'm, god i'm 100 percent down we have, to, yeah. we have to only play starfighter assault because i can't play anything else <laughs> no, that's that's the fun part. Is I guess watching, watching try to play the ground assault and you just run off a cliff immediately. But we need to do a land party for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And with that, that. With that, that. With that, and with that, 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 Anyways, three, two, one. Also, there's a speed dating panel for Star Wars Celebration. Ed, I uh, I think you wait. You're already spoken for. Are you still? I am spoken. Okay. For. How about how about Noma? How about uh, Noma? Long distance relationships sound weird. We'll see how desperate I am. Well, it's yeah, answer from four to five thirty. Yeah, so yeah, the, hey now, hey now. Just because the answer to that question of how desperate I am is incredibly yeah. doesn't mean. <laughs> so. Yeah, we're already halfway done. Yeah. See how easy it is when it's so small. Yeah, seriously. Nice. It's so nice. Your voice isn't shot. You're not uh, fed up with <laughs> shitty writing well, from somebody else. If it's shitty yeah. writing, it's your shitty writing. Yeah, it's my fault. Exactly. You're like, God damn it, who wrote? Oh, I, I, I wrote this. Damn it, me. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. One member sh- saying Nora is dead. It's not that fucking hard. And that will round out this episode. So from all of us here at Voice of the Force... Why did my head blink there? What's happening know. to me? I don't know. Shwabbity boo doop down. Let's do that. Let's do that coming. Let's do the coming. Yay, coming time. In the ghetto. Gonna go, gonna go find that coming. In the ghetto. <laughs> was was that just Dan or was that the both of you? Because that, that, that was That was me. <laughs> that was well, I, that was part of that was me, I think. <laughs> okay. Either that or I'm now starting to talk and I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Damn it, where the hell did it go? I just had it. In the ghetto. You guys did a <laughs> reversal this time between Dan being the negative one and you being positive, so it's yeah. not too hard yeah, that's to right. see. <laughs>